This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, we have a good news, bad news situation for you this hour. The bad news is I am still, as you can hear, battling this cold. So I I probably sound a little bit more nasal than you would prefer, certainly more nasal than I would prefer. The good news, though, for you is I have recruited two of the most interesting people in the world to join me for the hour to chew the fat on some of the news of the day and some of the some of life's mysteries uh, very very pleased uh, to welcome first uh, somebody that is uh, no stranger to this audience a personal trainer somebody who is a, a longtime student of the world of astrology also a podcaster and he happens to be my brother-in-law, Josh O'Brien. Hello there, Josh. Hello, Frank. It is good to see you. And making his debut on the other side of midnight is a friend of mine for over 21 years, the host of the TV talk show, which also airs around the country, Up Late with Johnny Potenza, the appropriately named Johnny Potenza. Hello there, Johnny. What's up, Frank? How you doing? You're, make, you're making me laugh. You're great. Good, 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 good. Well, that's the idea. Better to make you laugh than cry. Right? I love seeing you here. It's great to see you. I know it's uh, I know it's a late hour, so I appreciate you coming in. No, it's late night. It's always up late. You know now, now, exactly. Now you're later than me, so you got me beat. Exactly. Uh, now, Johnny. So people that don't know your background, and uh, we'll get into some of the things that you're doing now, and some of the things that people can look forward to. Both of you. But so you host this uh, this talk show. Up late with uh, with Johnny Potenza. It airs on public access, but it airs yes. in different markets all over the country, right? Yeah, well, it's on all the public access stations in all the five boroughs and and in California. Technically, we used to send it out more, but now that we it streams, we, it just streams. Right. So, I mean, technically, I'm not a worldwide name, so it's like uh, it'll you know someone could watch it in Hong Kong, but they don't know who I am unless you know someone in Hong Kong, and, and you say, yeah, my friend Johnny Potenza's on. And then they could watch it. You know, I'm so I'm so critical of the Chinese government. They probably have a censored in Hong Kong like crazy. Uh, by the way, if people want to check out Johnny's website. The website is uh, johnnyptv.com. Johnnyptv.com. But you 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 you're kind of modest, Jack. Like, oh, maybe people don't know me in Hong Kong or wherever else. You actually did make worldwide headlines uh, recently because someone, one of the biggest stars in the world right now, somebody that's famous not only for his tenure on Saturday Night Live, uh, somebody that uh, is famous for uh, his dating of Kim Kardashian, somebody that's famous for the uh, the movie The King of Staten Island, yep. uh, Pete Davidson, he actually did his first interview with you. Now, yeah. how long ago was that? That was actually February 25th, 2010. Oh, 2010. So yeah. the, we're talking about 12 years ago. Yeah. So he's a young guy now. How how young was he back then? He was uh, 16 years old. 16 years old. Yeah. And he, he was doing interviews with you. And he was a great kid. I love I loved him. Let's go back in time, actually, and listen to a little bit of uh, your interview with Pete Davidson. All right. Now listen, who who uh, influenced you in stand up? What got you going? Uh, my favorite comedian would probably be Bill Barr. I like I like to. Uh, him and Dane Cook, I used to watch all their videos. Like I look at them as like you know how how the stand up have albums. Mm-hmm. I listen to them. I, I like I memorized every single one. Like I look at it as it as if it's a song. So like that's pretty cool. Now it's interesting. One, it's funny to hear yeah. him. You know, uh, the, uh, sounding that young. 
But it's interesting. He actually put Bill Burr in his movie, uh-huh. The King of Staten Island, right? It's funny yeah. that he's talking to you about a comedian he looks up to and admires, and then he got to work with him. And Dane Cook. Uh, that, yeah, Dane Cook. Dane Cook wound up being a good friend. And when, once Dane Cook saw that post, Dane Cook actually inboxed me and started talking to me about this interview, saying how it was great and keep doing public access, that he started out with it. But, like, it, it goes back, like, because once Pete made it big, I don't know what the reason is, and I still have his number. And once, right before he got on Saturday Night Live, he said he was going to come on the show. And then once he got on Saturday Night Live, he kind of, like, forgot about every person that he knew on Staten Island. And I'm not even bad-mouthing him because he's a great kid. I mean, Hollywood works in, in mysterious ways. Sometimes they, they just put you in a different circle. But I know a lot of people. You know a lot of people. Like, And it just goes to show you what our good friend Joe Franklin used to say. Mm, I was just going to mention Joe because he always said exactly what I think you're going to say. Joe said, he goes, you know, there's going to be people that are always going to remember you and there's going to be people that forget you. And there's going to be people that make it big and they're going to see you across the street and they're going to walk the other way. You know, Joe, that was a big issue with him. He would always talk about, and I remember he would mention Barbara Streisand, mm-hmm. but he would mention uh, Julia Roberts. He would mention others who he had them on his show when they were nobody. Nobody yes. had heard of them. And then um, when they became some of the biggest stars in the world, they didn't want to know him. Yeah. Uh, and Joe said that because it was because that he reminded them of a time in their lives when they were struggling and when they were nobody, and they didn't want to be reminded of those guys. And, to, and Joe always said, to his credit, the handful of people that would come back included people like Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby always came back no matter what a big star he was. Bing Cosby. Right, Bing Frank Crosby. Frank Sinatra. Yeah, no, You're that's talking absolutely about, like, right. big names. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, m- musical folks, um, there uh, a colleague of mine who people can hear on the weekend – a guy that uh, we affectionately call around here uh, Cousin Vinny. Vinny Madunio, who yes. does a great job with a music program on the weekend, he actually does the intro for your show. Up Late with Johnny Potenza is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Coming to you live from the city that never sleeps, New York City, it's Up Late with Johnny Potenza. Uh, it's pretty neat. You know Vinny Madunio a long time. Yes, Vinny's a good kid, and I come up with some pretty good ideas, don't you think? <laughs> exactly. You're I a tr- trendsetter. I try to cash in on all my friends, but no, Vinny is a sweetheart. Uh, me and Vinny hooked up years ago, and I actually met him at my brother's 35th birthday party, and he was DJing, and he knew who I was because I was in the music business at the time with a band called NYB, and it stood for none of your business, but... And then he goes, I know who you are, blah, blah, blah. And then we just became friends. As years went on, I invited him on the show. And he co-hosted some shows with me, and he brought some talent on the shows. And we just became friends. And then he's just a sincere, nice guy. He's one of the nice guys. A great guy. Great guy. Absolutely. And uh, a real talent. Not only a great DJ but uh, and a great radio personality, but a great singer. We had him singing at the 100th anniversary gala recently. He was terrific. Oh, he was there? Yeah. No, he sang. And he he's Italian. Exactly. You, that's uh, with that. That's no. We're not going to hold that against him either, right? Uh, well, we're also not going to hold the fact that uh, Josh O'Brien is not Italian against him. Um, speaking of music, I want to get both of you to weigh in on something. Put your musical critics hat on now. Uh, a lot was made when uh, President Trump formed the Space Force to be the new branch of the armed service, the the sixth branch of the armed service. And some people mocked it. They said, oh, OK, what are they going to do, fight aliens? What are they going to do? Well, now, uh, the, this is not shtick. This is not a joke. The Space Force has revealed their official song. It's called Semper Supra. 
And I'm going to play it for you. This is the first time it's been played on these radio stations. And I'm going to ask each of you to put on your musical critic's cap and weigh in on this uh, on this song. Because every branch of the armed forces has an official song. The Army, ha- the Army goes rolling along, the Marine hymn, and each song, you know, is kind of identified with that branch of the military. Semper Supra was named the... U.S. Space Force motto, which is Latin for always above, and it was created, they say, to capture the aspire decor of both current and future guardians and intends to bring together service members by giving them a sense of pride. Let's let people listen. So that's Semper Supra. That is the new song of the Space Force. Josh, what do we think? I think I'm really excited. I mean, that is one really moving little piece of music there. Well, Johnny, <laughs> you, uh, with your musical background, what do you think? It's a real American song with a little twist of the Wizard of Oz in the back. <laughs> you know, it does have a little Wizard of Oz ish. But uh, I like it. I like it. I feel like they wrote that. In like 10 minutes. You, you know, I, I was going to say, I feel, I like it. I like it too. I think it's good. I think it sounds patriotic. I think it sounds kind of military-ish. You know, it's that's old good. Old school, I think, too. But I, it does sound old school. I think with the Space Force, right, a brand new branch of the military that's focused in space, I would have liked to hear something a little more galactic, Maybe right? something after 1920? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, something that has kind of a space theme to it. I'm not knocking it. It sounds, you know, it sounds great, but I mean, it would sound just as good if it was the theme song to the Marines or the Air Force or whatever. I, I would like something, I don't know, a little more Star Trek. Am I gonna, alone yeah, in I was going to say that Star Warish, you know? Yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Definitely, 100%. I think maybe like some modern instruments. Get some techno in there, some like space. Woo, right, that would have been some something. Of that that need, would have been something. Yeah, you need something no, modern day. But you know what? Listen. Sometimes old school works. Uh, no. Exactly. It does. It does. If, if you want to weigh in, that is the Space Force theme song. Let me know what you think. 800-848-9222. Johnny Potenza is here. Josh O'Brien is here. Josh, uh, if people haven't heard our previous conversations, you are involved in kind of two worlds that people might think are conflicting. One is the world of science. You have a, a master's degree. What is it, exercise science? The exercise physiology. Exercise yes, physiology. Um, and uh, obviously you're, you're in great shape. You spend a lot of time training people. But then you also spend a lot of your leisure time looking into the world of, uh, of astrology. Some people might think those two areas are somewhat contradictory. Explain to people, especially those that might be skeptics about the world of astrology, why that's not contradictory. Well, the reason uh, for me it's not contradictory is because they're both things I study uh, that are empirical. Right? Empirical means that we can observe them. There is uh, some obvious qualities to them and obvious values in uh, studying, implementing, and then reaping the benefits thereof. So with uh, what we call science, you can study in, in most universities, uh, we have uh, sort of a body of knowledge that we learn we sort of memorize, we figure out how to implement these things, and then we go out and we make changes in the world, be it with our bodies or with buildings or with our environment, what have you. Uh, with uh, astrology, it's not really recognized as one of those sciences in our modern Western world. If you go in, in another hemisphere, they're probably going to recognize it as a science. If you go in our history of the West, they recognized it 
as a science. However, currently it's not uh, honored as such. However, uh, I sort of stumbled upon the empiricism of it, the truth of it one day, and being the scientist that I am, I followed up and, and tested it. I put it to the test. Does this work if applied? Yes, it does. Johnny, where do you come down on astrology? Well, you know what? Uh, you, you guys put me to shame when it comes to book smart. <laughs> I'm a sweet guy. But, uh, I, you know, what he says, I mean, it's very interesting. Uh, that's all I could chime in with you, you right you now. You know, it's funny. I, I was always uh, – I never really put too much stock into astrology. I mean, I'd read the newspaper, and then I'd look at my horoscope and say, oh, that, okay, that's interesting. That's maybe not so interesting. But one of the things uh, that I found, particularly in the last two years of doing the show, and a week from today will be on the air in this time slot, uh, two years, which is, which is great and feels like we started yesterday. But I always look at whose birthday it is, right? And uh, I'm always really interested – and constantly amazed at how many people that seem to have similar talents are born the same day. Uh, you know, in the world of radio, which is the world I'm most familiar with, you have Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern, uh, they have the same birthday. And then it just goes to show another day, a bunch of star athletes all have the same birthday. Then another day, a bunch of star musicians all have the same birthday. That's not a coincidence, is it? I don't think it is at all. And if you, and if you want to go down that rabbit hole, and I've jumped head first. You see tons of those, yeah. and not o- not only are do you see clusters of individuals with similar characteristics and traits with the same birthdays or with the, in the same uh, roughly same part of the year, what we call like the zodiac sign for the sun. You also see the the things you would predict to be true as well. So it's not just odd clusters that sort of uh, make you scratch your head when you're thinking about chance, right? what astrologers would predict is actually what you see. So it's not just some aberration of chance or statistics or, you know, one in a million. It's what's predicted, and then you see it happening over and over and over again. Let me ask you both about a trend that's getting a lot of attention. Now, some people say this has always existed. Other people say this is uh, brand new. This is, it's something called uh, quiet quitting, now, uh, quiet quitting, as I understand it, and again, b- up until two weeks ago, I never even heard the term quiet quitting. So, m- you know, maybe I'm not the best authority. But um, quiet quitting is basically instead of working as hard as you can, it's a work philosophy that rebels against this ethos of rise and grind. Basically, it's in being embraced by younger people, 18 to 29 years old. And they say the idea is doing the minimum required work to keep your job. And they're saying this is pretty appealing. 15% of young people between the age of 18 to 29 are already doing this. And according to uh, this poll from um, – this is an Axios poll. They said that um, work – is lower on their list of priorities than family, friends, wellness, hobbies. Now, this desire to work to live instead of living to work is consistent across gender, across race, across political views. Democrats, Republicans, blacks, whites, men, women, as long as they're young, they are embracing this philosophy of quiet quitting. Uh, Josh, what do we think? Is this showing that people uh, are getting their priorities straight for the first time in history, or is this just a generation of slackers? Uh, I think that um, this is a cultural phenomenon, right? And and cultures are in time and place, right? 
So I think that currently we're seeing that a lot of the young people uh, are experiencing an increase in disregard for, we'll call it, work responsibility. And I'm sure that, and like you just said, this is true across all these different spectrums and domains of human division. So I think that this falls along the lines, the incidence falls along the lines of um, the personalities uh, along what's called like the bell curve, right? or distribution throughout the population of people that age. So you're going to have the Frank Morano types that are going to be diving headlong into their work early and often, right? They're going to get work done. They're going to excel at what they do, and they're going to get promoted, and they're going to have opportunities. Then you're going to have the other type, right, the alter ego person, right, who's doing the opposite and who's really screwing around and getting by with as little as possible. That's always been the case. I just think that uh, there's been a shift with our culture right now. I know that the COVID lockdowns contributed a lot. Is this positive or negative, though? I is think this... it's negative. I mm-hmm. think it's negative because it's because it's being done in an irresponsible way. Uh, Johnny, is this uh, – what's your take on this? What, what, what I can say about this is because I'm a blue-collar guy, okay, and, I, and my father was a fireman. Right, you've worked construction and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, my dream was to be a rock star when I was younger, but my father always had a tool in my hand since I was a kid. You can't get kids today to even take out the garbage. And it's nothing against the young generation because I'm, I'm all for the young generation. I believe with all the technology and, and the computers and the iPhones, it's such a big distraction and it's an addiction just like a drug. And I was one to say years ago I wouldn't be that guy. And I am that guy sometimes with this phone. And, and I say to myself, I got to leave this phone home. And it's like, it's, it's like it controls you. These kids today don't know any better. I mean, and what I notice with all the younger generation, when I go into a store, they don't want to do nothing. If I go into Staples and I need something done that the machine can't do, they make a face. And then I got to get a manager. And the manager <laughs> and this one has to go to this one. And you're in there for like an hour. Uh, and it's just, it's sad. I, I feel bad for the uh, the parents that got to deal with it. Does, let me ask you both, does remote work, play any role in this, right? Over the last two years, we've seen a big movement towards working from home. Now hybrid working is the big thing. Working home two days a week, working in the office three days a week. Do you think that plays a role in this? It plays a little role, but these kids today, unless they're brought up right from young, uh, physically working, doing the garden, cutting the lawn, picking the weeds, stuff like that, normal things like, like our fathers used to make us do. My father used to bribe me at a certain point when I didn't want to do it, but well, I'll give you fifty dollars. You, you know, you mow the lawn. You, you, you know, like the carrot with the horse. Sure, but uh, carrot and stick. Yeah. All my nieces and nephews or friends' kids, they say, "Oh, I'll, I'll work with you. I work with you." When I call them to work, and I'll take care of them. They don't even want to go to work. They have an excuse. They got to do this. They got to do that. We're going to meet the friends, but they got no money in their pocket. Mm-hmm. But they won't go out to work. You know, physically, uh, it's they don't even take the you know. The mothers take out the garbage. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the cause of this is, Josh? Well, I got to say this. The the work, home, antith- th- those are opposites, right? Those are archetypal opposites, right? You're at work and you're at home, right? Those are two ends of, of one spectrum. In fact, in astrology, that actually is an axis, right? So we went from you're going to be at work to no, 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 you have to stay at home, mm-hmm. right? It's an entirely different domain. It's an entirely different domain of your psyche. It's a whole yeah. different mode, right? And so we both work as trainers, you formerly and I currently, right? 
What do people look like when they first walk in a train with you? Half the time they're half asleep. They're dragging it, right? Yeah. I'm not sure I want to come in. I, would, I, know, I didn't know if I was going to make it in today. I'm not really in the mood today. Can we do something different? And then 10 minutes later, I've got them, right? Why? Because I got them in the gym. I got them away from the couch, away from the TV, yeah. the refrigerator, away from mom. And I got them out of that, and I flipped a switch in their mind and their body to get them working. If you don't pull them out of the house, you're, you're, you have an uphill battle to get these people to produce. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue with Johnny Potenza and Josh O'Brien in just a moment. If you want to comment on uh, anything we're covering, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-GIVE-US-A-CALL, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, joined in studio by Johnny Potenza and Josh O'Brien. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano joined in studio for the hour uh by my brother-in-law josh o'brien and uh somebody that if you know the tune that's playing now you're probably already familiar with he's the host of the tv talk show up late with johnny potenza johnny potenza johnny you wrote the song actually also right yes i actually uh i it took me a while to write it i just uh, had writer's block for a while and then uh one day, one day I woke up and I heard that theme. Dun, 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 dun. But I was stuck for a bridge, so I called my old producer in, Richie Scarlett. And he he produced my old band, so we collaborated together. And he co-wrote the other side of it. And we went in the studio. I hired all uh, studio musicians like Arnold Heck and uh, Wayne Cobbin. And they all played like three different horns each. Two guys. So there's like six different horns going by two guys all over the deuce in the studio. I'm on the drums and uh, that's it. Here you go. You get it on yeah. iTunes. And now, Josh, I know you, you're doing stuff on uh, the YouTube. Uh, by the way, if people want to see you on, on YouTube and see what you're doing, how, how can they do that? You can go to YouTube at Josh O'Brien, Learn, Think, Build. And I'm also on a Rumble, Josh O'Brien, LTB. All right. And um, now I want to ask you, Johnny, now your your basic, you, you know, you, your stuff is on YouTube also. People can find it on YouTube. But you've been primarily based in the public access arena. And I, they say that maybe the world of YouTube has sort of filled the need that public access once served for the public. Used to be if you had a desire to get your message out, whether it was entertainment or commentary or whatever, you would go on public access TV. Now you could stay in your house, yeah. record it, and just put it on YouTube. Why do you stick with the public access? Uh, do you think that's still a good way of getting your message out? This is the whole thing. I like doing the entertainment variety show, that whole like Johnny Carson theme, the, 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 the live studio audience, the vibe of the people, the crowd. Uh, yeah, I could do it. You know, when we, when we first started with CTV and all that stuff, everyone used to do Porta Bump or in their basement or anywhere. But you really can't do that unless you rent out a studio. It costs money. Other stuff costs money. Public access has everything you mm. got there for free. It's a platform for me, but there's also 
you got to deal with a lot of stuff. There's a, you know, you know, public access, not NBC. A lot of technical stuff. I do the editing, so thank God if I wasn't a good, uh, a very good editor, I, I'd have a lot of problems, and I wouldn't be able to afford to pay people to edit the show every every month because it's costly. Oh, I can do imagine a live show. The problem is with my level. I'm like. It's hard. What is the right words to say? Unless you got a listers on your show, no one knows. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm just. But would you still recommend blow, blow public, public access to people as a way of getting started, getting their feet wet? Public access is great. It's a great platform, and and if you have if you have the itch, it, it's something that could definitely tell you whether you want to be in the business or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. A lot of folks um, eager to comment on some of the issues we're talking about. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let me begin with Joe in Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, hi. How you doing? Uh, my question is more about the athletics. As you get older, uh, I'll give two parts to this one. I had a neighbor that uh, uh, he he had been uh, running. Uh, he, he already had competed in the Hawaii triathlon and, and, you know, that's competitive. You have to be really good to be in it. Obviously the guy's talented and that he's retraining for next year. I'd see him up jogging, running at the track. And he had a job in a city where he's taking an office job, 656 train. And he said he would sometimes train the one in the morning. And, and I could see he was like, kind of burning the candles on both ends and looked worn out. So he really didn't have the, uh, enough time to train at that level. Obviously, he's talented. On the other hand, I know a guy at the time that was a, a college football star that uh, had feeling interest from the pros, didn't make the pros, and then like three years later, he's overweight, bloated, hanging out in bars all the time, never stayed athletic. So that's another end of the spectrum where the guy didn't even try to, to keep so, his... So what, what's your uh, question? Uh, what's your question? My question, question is, how do you approach uh, like a mid-range balance if, if you're fairly you know, skilled in, in, in athletics, but... You know, you're, you're you know, you like the, my neighbor. The guy really didn't have enough time to train at the level of competing in the Hawaiian triathlon. He really overdid it. All right, I'll, I'll defer to Josh on this one. He's the only one in the studio that I think is going to know the answer to this one. So, are we talking about Kona, the Ironman competition? Is that what he was training uh, for? I, yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I so that that, was, yeah. that is like regarded. In, in that community as like the apex, unless you're doing an ultra marathon, the apex, the apex of physical achievement and demand upon your body. And very, very few people ever actually do that. And like you just alluded to, I mean, the, the training volume, the schedule from all the cycling on the bike, the running on the road, swimming is just gargantuan. It's, it's an incredible feat to even undertake. Most people would never even try um, and you really do need a lifestyle that is conducive to putting that kind of time in. Most of us don't have that. And even those that try oftentimes find they're not getting enough sleep. So, you know, the, I think the sport sort of weeds out the people that can't uh, cut it, so to speak. All right, Joe. Thank you. 800-848-9222. John is in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, first of all, I just wanted to say, you know, how we're like uh, kids these days. Uh, our grandparents said the same thing about our parents. And their parents said the same thing about them. It's a, but I feel like we're in the information age, and kids are less physical today. But um, you know, and then the, the information is readily available. 
So they don't have to study hard. They don't memorize things. I feel like now's a good time for us to progress and maybe uh, with like a Neuralink thing, we could have information in our head at all times. There'll be no studying, no nothing like that. It's time to like uh, move ahead a little bit. Yeah, so uh, John, I'm not I'm not clear on what you're saying. You are you saying that every generation complains about the upcoming generation of kids? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that was my first point. <laughs> right. Okay. All right. Anybody want to weigh in? Is this just kind of the the way it is? Everyone always says, uh, you know, what's the matter with these kids today? Yeah. I mean, and he's right about the information always being there. You Google it, but like they don't get to memorize it. Uh I mean, it's good for a guy like me who didn't really study in school when I need to spell a word. And I just say, Google, how do you spell, I don't know, just say carbohydrates, and it spells it for me. You don't remember it, but you always got it there, and he's right what he's saying. I mean, the technology is is great, but it also lacks us from studying. Unless you're really, if you're a guy like, say, Frank, this guy has like a a sponge. No, please. It's more like a sieve. It goes in, it goes right out. William's in Asbury Park. Hello, William. Hey, um, so there's a, there's a certain like um, zone where you you know there's there's two modes. You you got a home mode and a work mode. You know where you're focused. You got a goal, and uh, you got a right environment where you're focused on that goal. And it's almost like a hyper focus that you can get into. It's hard for a lot of people, especially if you have something like an attention deficit disorder, like myself. How, how, do you, how do you stay in that zone? And is, there, is, it, is it more of a mental thing or an environmental thing? And if it is a mental thing, what kind of, what kind of uh, pharmaceuticals or supplements, you know, natural stuff, does your guest recommend? Well, so, you uh, William, you broke up a second there. So I, I think your question is about focus. Focus? Yeah, my question is: um, there, there, there's a certain, you know, there's a certain zone that you can get into. That's a work zone. Right. You yeah. got a goal, you, right? You, you're breaking up a little bit, uh, Josh. I'll defer to you uh, on well, this. Well, I, I would not ever pose myself as some sort of expert in how to get into the zone, but. I do know that you have to avoid all the distractions, right? You're not getting into the zone if you're watching TV. So if you're trying to get into some kind of work zone, again, I'm no expert here, but I do know that you need to. You need to, through trial and error, figure out what works for you. So if you know that you've got a bunch of distractions, you have to get those out of your environment. And, um, and then you have to figure out how you work best, probably some trial and error. I'm sure there's a bunch of books out there you can read. And I do then know that when it comes to a mental flow, you know, Einstein used to go for three walks a day. Hmm. And that's what the philosophers would do. They would walk and talk, <laughs> right? If we want to figure something out, what do we mean? We go for a walk. You talk, you go for a drive, whatever. When you're moving through space, there's something cognitively that sort of clicks into place, and it allows you to, to operate at your best at the brain level. So, um, yeah, you got to find out for you what works for you. Let me ask you both something, uh, talking about young people, talking about education. Some interesting numbers coming out recently, and I'm curious if you both think this is a, a one-off or part of a trend. Uh, nearly two million fewer students have enrolled in public school. Now, obviously, the pandemic played a role here, but uh, New York and other cities around the country are seeing about a 4% decline in people wanting to go to public school or parents wanting to send their children in public school. I I think part of this is no question due to a lot of the restrictions that the schools had in place, that you had to wear masks and uh, uh, other things like this. 
do you think this is something that is going to continue? Or now that the pandemic, by most people's account, is largely over, are we going to see these public school levels go back to normal? What do you think? I think it's going to get back to normal within a couple of years. I mean, I I think the kids are still used to uh, staying home. And, and I was telling you guys before, like, I, and I and I witnessed it when when it was the teacher teaching a whole class on a computer. The kids, the boys, and I I see my 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 cousins and and the kids would be like, "Oh, you having a good day at school?" You know, you well, you're playing Xbox, and that's what they're doing every day while the teacher is uh, thing. You know, some of them had like fake things in the background, made it look like they were there. I'm like, I'm like, I can't believe this, like you know, but uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't heard of. What do you think, Josh? Uh, I think that the pandemic has quite a bit to do with it. I also, you know, we've had this conversation before about some of the things uh, that are starting to get introduced into the curriculums, mm. right? And not to go down a, a whole path here, but you got the CRT stuff. You have some of the sexual stuff taught to some of the younger kids. And I do know there's a large segment of the American uh, parents that are not into that. No. So you're probably getting a combination of both reasons. And like you just said, Johnny, you know, I'm sure as the pandemic wanes, we're going to see some people returning from Definitely. the health and the health measures. But I think that you're going to see uh, a continued reduction because of some of the other reasons. No, okay, no, it makes sense. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Uh, Johnny Potenza is in studio. Josh O'Brien is in studio. You could reach Johnny through his website, johnnyptv.com. There's also some great clips of his show, including that Pete Davidson interview on the YouTube. And, uh, and Josh, if people want to reach you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can go to my uh, uh, Instagram that's uh, Josh O'Brien LTB for Learn, Think, Build. Or, again, you can go to that YouTube, Josh O'Brien Learn, Think, Build. All right. Um, by the way, today, I guess, is the first day of fall, right? I mean, it's uh, it's autumn now, officially. Summer's over. Um, one, uh, how was your summer now that you can do a whole retrospective of the last three <laughs> months? And, uh, and, and two, from an astrological point of view, I'll ask you this, Josh. Or is there any significance about today being the autumn equinox? You know, it's funny. Uh, one of your uh, listeners sent me a message on Instagram uh, and asked me about it. I said, oh, we're probably not going to get to it. And she said she messaged you. Yeah, yeah. So I really I'm don't know much soccer, about uh, the equinox as it pertains to astrology. You know, I do a lot of personality astrology. Um, I don't do a lot of the, um, the what we would call the uh, transits going on in the sky right now. I couldn't tell you where everything is right now. You know, that's uh, something I haven't studied, something I'm ignorant about. I'm into the personality and the psychology of, of the birth chart. So uh, I, I'm as curious as you are about how that equinox affects us currently. Johnny, how was your summer? My summer was great. This is like the best summer I had in a long time. Uh, I was down the shore, so when I didn't work, I was just, I turned into a beach bum, and uh, it was great. Well, it can't Sounds be like that, fun, right? How do you compare the Jersey Shore beaches to the Long Island beaches? Well, you know what, I really... It's been a minute since I've been down uh, Long Island beaches. Back in the day, we used to go down to Jones Beach a lot. We used to go down to the Hamptons, uh, but no more. You know, it's, it's been a while. I've been a Jersey Shore guy for a long time. All right, 800-848-9222. Let me ask both of you uh, about a phrase that was in the news a lot over the last 24 hours. Uh, the special master in a case that's uh, in the news a great deal, uh, he basically said that um, the judge here said that uh, the the Trump team, the Trump legal team, was trying to um, have their cake and eat it too. Now, I have never understood this expression. <laughs> My whole life, it, it has made 
No sense. The judge, Raymond Deary, the special master, said, my view is you can't have your cake and eat it, too. Now, I get what the the phrase is supposed to mean, that you can't have something and enjoy it and still, you know, still have it. But shouldn't the proper expression be eat your cake and have it, too? I mean, <laughs> what does that mean? Have your cake and eat it, too. And why do people keep saying it? I, I you, you said it the best the last couple of shows that you listened to. I mean, they're finding anything and everything just to bust Donald Trump's chops. And and I learned uh, me. I just keep my mouth shut because uh, you know I just <laughs> I can't get too involved with the politics. Uh, but what about the expression "have your cake and eat it too"? It's silly. It makes no sense. It's, right? It's, yeah, I didn't want to say that. Yeah, it's silly. Very silly. Right? Uh, where are you on? Cake? It never made any literal sense to me. Yeah. I, I always but, but, assumed so the why phrase. Why do people always got why, why do people always say along it? the way? I, I mean, the, this is an educated guy, a federal judge. Why is he? But everybody says it. I'm not singling him out. Everybody says it. I guess that's one of those colloquialisms that we all just agree agree upon the meaning and we keep using it. Well, yeah. so but wouldn't it make more sense to say? And I'd like to make a gentleman's agreement among the three of us if we could go forward and get the listeners involved too. Wouldn't it make more sense to say eat your cake and have it too? Doesn't that make more sense? I'll, I'll sign on. Right, for that. Okay, Johnny, you, you down? Eat yeah, your cake you should, and have it too. You should put it on a bumper sticker with your name. That'd right. Be perfect. Okay. I think I like, it'd be hey, me. I'm not copywriting this one. Uh, people can <laughs> people can adopt this as their own. All right. Eight hundred. <clears throat> excuse me. Eight hundred. <clears throat> Frog in my throat. Was that Hopefully he'll become Rubert. a prince. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue. Johnny Potenza and Josh O'Brien straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Josh O'Brien here with uh, Johnny Potenza. Uh, a lot to get to. Coming up a little later, we're going to talk with uh, Brian Kilmeade, and uh, we'll go live to, well, not Atlantic City, but we'll go live to somewhere when we talk with our casino expert Michael Traeger, comparing the world of casino gaming in New Jersey with the world of casino gaming in Maryland and Nevada. So that's going to be an interesting discussion that uh, that I'm looking forward to. You know, fellas, I want to get your take on this. This might be a little controversial, but I'm going to ask you anyway. We spent a lot of time in this show talking about the world of UAPs or UFOs, right? Uh, They've been called flying saucers over the years. They've been called, you know, any number of things. Been a lot of, um, I think, credible claims of alien abduction over the years. It seems like Congress is starting to take this subject kind of seriously, and we're now in sort of a a new world in terms of people paying attention to this. Not that either of you, as far as I know, have any inside information on this, but where do each of you come down on the issue of, of UFOs or UAPs or uh, extraterrestrials, whatever you want to call it, that whole, that whole realm? What do you think, Johnny? Ah, uh, UFOs, I, I mean, I really can't say. Uh, there's definitely something out there <coughs> beyond the Earth somewhere, uh, you know, whether it's an extraterrestrial or 
some kind of form of creature. And there probably there might even be another life out there, like say, like in the Planet of the Apes. Remember the second the Planet of the Apes beneath the Planet of the Apes. Uh, yeah, I like that one. Uh, those, those are the best ones. Uh, so who knows? It's 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 crazy. I mean, I think by now, as long as we've been around the world, that that that. that Something should have landed already. I mean, what are they waiting for if they're out there? That's just my opinion. Well, uh, uh, where do you come down on this, Josh? I think this is a super interesting topic. So you had Whitley Strieber mm-hmm. on a couple nights ago, right? Really cool story. I've come across this story in the past because I've looked into this stuff. And I think that, in a nutshell, there are phenomena that thousands of people have experienced. Right. Undeniable. Thousands. So then we have questions to answer, such as are those visual phenomena uh, alien to the planet or are they uh, tech high tech uh, innovations of some country on the planet that has not yet divulged that to us? Mm -hmm. Right. So that remains to be uh, answered. However, the abduction stories. Right. Frank just had Whitley Strieber on. Whitley Strieber's had an experience like 30 years ago, 30-some-odd years ago, right? And many, many people like him have had these abduction-type stories, all right? And the newest technology that we could fathom in the depths of our minds by these uh, laboratories that have billion-dollar budgets in Russia, China, the U.S., are not going to be able to abduct someone out of their house through the wall and violate all the known laws of physics, yeah. all right, I don't think that's possible. So the whole, well, it's a government project thing doesn't answer the abduction question. So I don't know what's going on. So but I don't it think- sounds like you, you think there's something to the idea that there have been otherworldly visitors to this planet. Either And Whitley, Whitley Strieber, in your, in your uh, conversation with him, alluded to this. Either it's otherworldly or it's actually something within this world that we don't yet understand. Let me ask you both about this, completely unrelated. Um, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. The, we just had the Emmy Awards. Did you watch any of the Emmys? I watched part of it. What, what did you see? What part of it? Uh, who did I see with the Cobra Kai winning best? Uh, yeah, best, okay. Best editing. Let, I love that you, show. Yeah, so is it as good as they say? It's great. I mean, if you're a Karate Kid fan, you're going to love Cobra Kai. And if you're not a Karate Kid fan, you never saw it, you're going to still love Cobra Kai. <laughs> uh, Josh, did you watch any of it? I haven't watched okay. I love the movies. I didn't see any you of the You resemble stuff. my friend. No, no, no. Well, have you watched any of the Emmys? Did you watch no, any of the No, I didn't watch the Emmys. Okay, well, so uh, apparently, well, no, um, I, I don't want to no, step on you there, Johnny, but okay. apparently you're actually in the majority, Josh, because viewership for the 2022 Emmy Awards on NBC, a major network, not a cable network, fell to an all-time low of just 5.9 million viewers. That's in the whole country. Now, meanwhile, the NFL, uh, they did very well last week. They had its best opening weekend in terms of live viewership in six years. Now, Hollywood has got a big problem, and it's not just a streaming problem. You mentioned Cobra Kai. We've chronicled before how everyone's moving to the streaming networks, but it has sort of a... A relevancy problem. Award shows don't tap into the same kind of cultural appeal that they used to be. Shows like the Emmys, the Oscars, Mm -hmm. they used to – the TV critic for the New York Times wrote this. Shows like the Emmys and the Oscars used to aspire to elegance, a quality that isn't so valued now. By the numbers, on average, viewership across the four major award shows this year 
is less than one-third of it was a decade ago. Outside of the Super Bowl, um, the trend is the same for sports championships, uh, the World Series, uh, NBA Finals, you name it. Why do each of you think that no one's watching these award shows anymore? The thing is this, too. The kids don't care. I mean, mainly the the, the adults watch it, but, I mean, it ain't like you... There's no class, in my opinion, uh, to to like the Oscars. I mean, look what recently just happened with Will Smith mm-hmm. and, and Chris Rock. That that was pathetic on Will Smith's uh, part. I mean, and I used to be a fan of his. I lost respect from him more. You don't slap somebody on, on the uh, on on the Oscars. And I'm a street guy. And a neighborhood Frank's a neighbor guy. You want to fight somebody? You wait till after the show. You want to? You don't do that on the Oscars. How much class do you got? You, you know, you don't do it. Hell no. Um, why do you think no one's watching these award shows? Uh, I don't want to say no one because it's still five million I think people. It has but something it's... to do with the expansion of media, right? So at, the, at once upon a time, TV and film comprised a huge part yeah. of the media that we uh, that that provided us entertainment, right? So the characters of old, the the actors and actresses, the glamour types—they were a big part of our lives because those people were the people that we viewed provide us entertainment and where our mind and our fantasy went. Now you've got social media, you've got YouTube, you've got a thousand TV channels. So I think there's a dilution of what, what Hollywood used to be. And I think that they no longer hold that same appeal and glamour and mystique that they once did. But this is where it's coming from, excuse me, frankly. Like all these streaming networks is actually where everything is just turning around in a, in a sense where streaming is just going to is like it's just another word for TV and all these big networks, uh, even like Paramount. Say, say say with the Irishman, Paramount originally bought it, then they sold it to Netflix. Netflix has such a budget now, and like Cobra Kai has like twenty nine or thirty million viewers. Well, it's, it's, that's like, it's like unheard of. Well, so talk to me about that, right? So with 30 million people watching Cobra Kai, right, everybody has a show that it seems like they like on streaming. My wife and I just started watching uh, Ted Lasso, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But you'd think that if these shows are being nominated and these films are being nominated at the award shows, more people, at least the fans of those shows, would tune in yeah. to see it. But they're not tuning in. And I guess my question is why? Why do people not care anymore? I guess it just it, – sorry, there's a fly in here. It, it, I saw that fly. Uh, <clears throat> I can't really answer that. It's just like maybe they're sick of it. Uh, who knows? Alan Yonkers. Hello, Al. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, you just touched on something briefly uh, <laughs> uh, about – extraterrestrial uh, UFOs, or uh, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I just wanted to ask you, uh, because I've always found that to be an interesting uh, topic, and I started reading a book. I haven't finished it, but I wanted to ask you and and, and your guests what what you believe. Uh, Roswell, 1947, New Mexico. Uh, do you think something there occurred that was extraterrestrial uh, from out of these, uh, this world? And do you think it was a, a possible government cover-up? Well, I, I'm, I'll speak first, and if these guys want to weigh in. I don't have any inside information, but we've spoken with a lot of experts that have studied this, including the yeah. grandson of the colonel at Roswell who was responsible for seeing, you know, seeing what happened there. I definitely think that there was a major cover-up. I don't know what it is they were covering up. 
I don't know whether it was, um, you know, something otherworldly or whatever the case may be, but I definitely think if you look at how quickly the story changed, I definitely think yeah. it was a government cover-up of some sort. But uh, you guys can weigh in if you want. I mean, if you have any uh, anything you want to add on. I don't know much about it, but I remember my father talking about it and all the old-timers, they said, they, they said the same thing, cover-up. What do you think, Josh? I think it's a lot easier to tell when someone's lying than exactly what they're lying about. And the government is filthy with cover-ups, mm. and anyone can tell they're covering it up. What the hell they're covering up, Covering up, I have no idea. Uh, let me, um, Josh, before I, uh, we run out of time, I know you have been banging the drum for the last <laughs> year or so on the issue of the, uh, the COVID vaccine. And just yesterday in New York City, they did away with the vaccine mandate for private businesses, but they're keeping it in place for public workers. Comes after 850 teachers, I think, or maybe a little more than that, just got let go in New York City for refusing to get vaccinated. Now, apparently, um, even 46 members of Congress are requesting that members of the military be uh, exempt from the vaccine mandate. Where do you see this whole vaccine mandate movement going at the moment? Well, uh, I know where I would like it to go. Um, I think that what's going on with the mandate, and not everybody likes to hear this, but uh, the government enjoys having more power than it normally has. Mm -hmm. Right? They get to do a lot of things with that power. And there are countries around the world that have always said, well, you know, if the U.S. could only be a different country without that constitution, right? You know, over here in other countries, that is, we get to do A and B and C and people have no recourse. In the United States of America, it gets pretty clunky and bumpy and problematic with that Bill of Rights and all the other things they have. So our government, which thinks like a government, and when I say our government, people within government like having the powers they have, the emergency powers, and uh, they're not so quick to give those up. And uh, although um, this letter was um, sent out and signed by um, uh, 46 members of Congress uh, saying to the Secretary of Defense, hey, listen, um, we would like this vaccine mandate to go away. We know that the vaccine is not as effective as you once said it was. We know that our service members, being the demographic they are, don't really need this that much. Why are you still compromising the readiness of our uh, of our military by potentially getting rid of 8% of our military members. And enlistment has been down sh- uh, st- uh, sharply in part due to the mandate. And uh, real quick, I saw that in this letter it was said that about 50% of the talent pool that usually gets recruited are guys that demographically refuse the vaccine. Mm-hmm. So we can see where this is going to go for enlistment. And uh, I know that they're going to be very slow to give up their powers. At the same time, it's costing our military. Johnny, anything you'd add on this front? It's a control thing, as, as he's saying. And you know what? It made a lot of people paranoid, scared, uh, questionable. Like even now, like you know, some I'm still getting COVID, and I got the shot. People don't get COVID; they don't got the shot. Then with the kids, people don't want their kids to get it. It's it kind of caused a big uproar. I mean, I can see in the beginning. Now it's like dying down. I mean, America's supposed to be about free will and free choice. You know, let it be about free will and free choice. If someone wants to gamble with their life, if this thing is going to kill them or not, let that be their choice. This has been a lot of fun. The hour has flown by. Gentlemen, I want to thank you both. 
Uh, you could see Johnny. Uh, check out Johnny PTV. I'm actually going to be on uh, up late with Johnny Potenza yes. next month. Looking forward to that. Uh, check out Josh on Instagram and on the YouTube. Let's do this again soon, fellas. One hundred percent, Frankie. Thank you, buddy. All right, coming up. Uh, you want to comment on anything we covered? You can eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. The UN is in town, and boy, is it really wrecking traffic. And you'll never believe what's up and what's down. I'll tell you. In just a moment. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. What's up, STDs? What's down, Christians? This is The Other Side of Midnight, uh, and and I said that kind of glibly, but uh, what I said is absolutely true. And I find both of these trends very interesting. Liberated Americans are catching sexually transmitted diseases at out-of-control rates as this pandemic, the COVID pandemic, comes to an end. Now, maybe this shouldn't surprise people, the fact that folks were locked in their houses for a year and a half, not able to interact with anyone in person, and now they're just having sex with one another like crazy. Maybe it stands to reason that STDs would go up. But this is very troubling and very alarming. Listen to this. Sharply rising cases of some sexually transmitted diseases, including a 26% rise in new syphilis infections, were reported last year, This is prompting U.S. health officials to call for new prevention and treatment efforts. A quote from Dr. Leandro Mania of the the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in a speech on Monday. It's imperative that we work to rebuild, innovate, and expand STD prevention in the United States. Infection rates for some STDs, including gonorrhea and syphilis, they've been rising for years. And last year, the rate of syphilis cases reached its highest since 1991. And the total number of cases hit its highest since 1948. Think about that. More people are getting syphilis now than in the 70s. Remember the the 70s, the era of, uh, or the 60s, the era of free love, everybody having sex with everybody? More people are getting syphilis now. HIV cases are also on the rise, up 16% last year. And now there's an international outbreak of monkeypox, which is being spread mainly between men who have sex with other men. And that is highlighting the country's worsening problem with diseases spread mostly through sex. David Harvey is the executive director of the National Coalition of STD Directors. He called this situation out of control. Uh, Officials are now working on new approaches to the problem, such as home test kits for some STDs, that will make it easier for people to learn that they're infected and to take steps to to prevent spreading it to others. Another expert said a core part of any effort must work to increase the use of condoms. 
I'm curious what you think of this. I have what may be an unorthodox take, and I'm going to share it with you in a moment, but I'd love to hear from you. Are you as alarmed as these public health officials are at the rise in the number of STDs? 800-848-9222. And let's say, you know, we're working on a a queen for a day uh, segment on this show. Let's say you got to be CDC director for a day or Anthony Fauci for a day, Fauci for a day. I feel like Fauci with my voice as gravelly as it is. But let's say you got to be Fauci for a day and you were tasked with reducing the rise in STDs. What would you do? You've heard what they're planning. They're planning broader use of at-home test kits. They're planning more education, including on the use of condoms. What else? What else would you do? 800-848-9222. I'll tell you a story that um, first came to my attention maybe about 10 years ago, I think is playing into this. And it's not mentioned in any of the articles that I saw yesterday, but I do think that this is part of this. I think a big part of what's driving the uptick in STDs, and I, I, I will freely admit I have no statistics to back this up at the moment. I think a part of what's driving this is the elderly. The elderly are having sex later in life uh, through the use of drugs like Viagra and Cialis. You are seeing the elderly who don't have to worry about things like pregnancy have sex at at very, I don't want to call them, uh, you know, at prodigious rates. You're seeing them have sex without a condom because a lot of these folks are past the childbearing years and they don't worry about getting pregnant, but they are worried. They are still able to get and spread STDs. Now, that I don't think is playing into the monkeypox spread, but I think when it comes to syphilis and gonorrhea and maybe even HIV and some of these other STDs, I think that's part of this. So I'd love to hear your comments. 800-848-9222. Dr. Mike Sag, uh, an infectious disease expert at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, said it's pretty simple. More sexually transmitted infections occur when people are having more unprotected sex. Well, what medical school did that guy go to in order to come up with an observation like that? Boy, that's, that's... that's that's the leading infectious disease expert, at least wow. in, in the state of Alabama. It, more sexually transmitted infections occur when people are having unprotected sex. You're kidding me. My goodness. What is that, seven years of medical school for that one? My goodness. So syphilis is a bacterial disease that surfaces as um, sores, but it can ultimately lead to severe symptoms and death if left untreated. I believe Al Capone actually died of, uh, of syphilis. New syphilis infections plummeted in this country starting in the 40s when antibiotics became widely available. They fell to their lowest ever by 1998 when there were fewer than 7,000 new cases reported in the whole country. The CDC was so encouraged by the progress that it launched a plan to eliminate syphilis in the United States. But by 2002... Shortly after Viagra came out, 
by 2002, cases began rising again. They are attributing it. The CDC attributes this um, to gay and bisexual men. And once they started rising, they kept going. Late 2013, the CDC ended its elimination campaign in the face of limited funding and escalating cases, which that year, 2013, surpassed 17,000. By 2020, cases had reached nearly 41,700, and they spiked even further last year. And keep in mind, that's following a year that nobody was allowed to interact with with each other. Last year spiked to more than 52,000. The rate of cases has been rising as well. It's not just the raw numbers. Rates are highest in men who have sex with men and among black and Hispanic Americans, also American Indians. The rate for women is lower than it is for men, um, but it's been rising among women as well. And that ties to um, a number of other problems. But you're seeing syphilis go up. You're seeing STDs go up. My question for you, very simply, is... What do you think is to blame for this? And what would you do about it if you were in charge? 800-848-9222. This one group, this one public health group, is pushing for a proposal for more federal spending. Isn't that always the solution? Just uh, spend more money, including at least $500 million for STD clinics. Um, Dr. Mania, who last year became director of the CDC's Division of STD Prevention, He called for reducing stigma, broadening screening and treatment services and supporting the development of at-home testing. He said, uh, quote, I envision one day we're getting tested for STDs can be as simple and as affordable as doing a home pregnancy test. I wonder if we'll ever get there. 800-848-9222. So STDs are up and what's down? Christians. Christians. Uh, This is another interesting trend. Um, America's Christian majority could end by the year 2070. Christians could fall below 50% of the U.S. population by 2070 if these recent trends continue. In 2020, about 64% of Americans, that includes children, were Christian. People who are religiously unaffiliated, sometimes they call these folks nuns, N-O-N-E-S, that accounted for 30% of the U.S. population. Adherents of all other religions, Jews, uh, hats off to you, Matt Blaze, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, that totaled about 6%. So, So what's happening? Since the 1990s, large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to join the growing ranks of adults in this country who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. Depending on whether this trend slows, stops, or speeds up, Pew projects the number of Christians of all ages will shrink from 64% um, to between, listen to this, from 64% where it is now to between 54 and 35% of all Americans by the year 2070. Now, that's nothing. That's less than 50 years from now. And yet, they're predicting, according to current trends, that we're going to see the end of America's Christian majority. 
uh, nuns would be the top uh, religious affiliation. Americans who were religiously unaffiliated, not to be confused with atheists, they're projected to approach or exceed Christians in number by the year 2070. Uh, so there are some scenarios that are more plausible than others, but the f- and obviously nobody can predict the future, and it's possible for religion to make a comeback. But as it stands now, Christians will no longer be a majority by the year 2070. How do you feel about that? Good news, bad news, indifferent? What do you think? 800-848-9222. I- I'll tell you, I don't pretend to be a uh, holy roller. Um, a lot of Sundays, my wife and I don't even end up going to church if it means disrupting Carmine's nap. And I, I'm not uh, proud of that. Uh, we, you know, should be going. But whenever I go to, whenever we go to church, doesn't matter whether it's a Catholic church, an Episcopal church, or a Methodist church. Whenever we go, I am constantly saddened and disappointed at how many empty pews there are. And this is one of the reasons the Catholic Church is so into pushing for illegal immigration, because these folks that are coming here from Central America, from Mexico, from elsewhere, they're very devout Catholics, and they are helping fill the church pews. But I I do feel like um, every week I I keep waiting for a church service to occur with a, a priest or a pastor preaching to no one. Because I, I do feel like that's where we're heading. And I, I do find it kind of depressing. And if you look at the era in American history when religion was at its highest, that was the the 50s, the Eisenhower era. That was the most churched um, population that we've ever had. Now we are rapidly approaching the other end of that spectrum. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. John is in Whitestone. Hello, John. Yeah, what I wanted to say is that the the borders have, you know, the the borders are wide open. We have these diseases coming in that we eradicated years ago, and now they're coming back because you know disease don't know no borders. They're coming in. Our borders are wide open from third world countries, and everybody's coming in. And they're bringing everything with them. Well, to your point, I mean, um, one of the groups that is seeing an uptick. In in these STDs is Hispanics. Now, is that is that due to uh, poor border enforcement? I, I don't know. But um, it's still plenty of people that are in the country legally that are spreading these diseases, these sexually transmitted diseases. I don't think, you know, it becomes very tempting to blame immigrants for everything. And I'm a strong border security guy. You know, I was a Trump supporter before it was fashionable because, you know, I buy into the border enforcement. But there's just such a temptation on the and I'm sure I've done this from time to time. There's such a temptation to blame illegal aliens for everything. And the bottom line is I'm not talking about the migrants that are coming here from Venezuela and seeking um asylum from an oppressive regime and because they're in wor- worried about losing their life or something along those lines. But the most people that come here illegally, they do so in search of a job, right? And if we were serious as a country about putting an end to that, we could without a border wall. We could. All we'd have to do as a country is mandate that every employer has to utilize and enforce E-Verify. That's all that would need to happen. 
And then once employers were no longer hiring illegal aliens, they wouldn't be coming here. They're only coming here because they think they can get a job. But now that's not going to happen because um, how did we get to the subject of illegal immigration? I, see, I, we were talking about STDs and Christianity. And sure enough, every subject you know, lends itself to illegal immigration. You know, there's, um, there's a theory that's about 25 years old called God. I think it's called Godwin's theorem. Okay. And the theor- the, the axiom behind Godwin's theorem is that eventually every argument, no matter what it's about, every argument will eventually lead to one of the people in that argument invoking Hitler, the Nazis, or, or the Holocaust. And then whoever does that first automatically loses the argument. So um, I don't know. Maybe we can have Morano's theorem. That'll be the or the Morano corollary to Godwin's theorem, where eventually every discussion will eventually result in someone mentioning illegal immigration. That that might be unique to talk radio, though. 800-848-9222. Loretta is in Brooklyn. Hello, Loretta. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Morning. How are you? I'm, I got a little bit of a cold, but I'm doing okay, all things considered. Good. Um, yes, about Christianity and, and all of this religion. Uh, I was raised with the nuns way back. The, the N-U-N's, 50s. not the N-O-N-E's, right? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, back in the 50s. So I'm going back to when they looked like nuns. <laughs> and, yes, even boarding school. And uh, I saw the hypocrisy for myself in the Catholic Church when I was just 13 years old. Now that I listen to Gospel Station because uh, some of that music appeals to me. They're all Jamaican people. And the way I grew up with Elvis, I grew up with Harry Belafonte as well. And um, I see the hypocrisy there. And they're out to baptize or rebaptize everybody when I've always thought, live and let live. You know, this is America. You're free to do as you wish, and so am I. You're free to live your life as you see fit, and so am I. I don't want to intrude on anybody, and I respect people as they are, not as I wish them to be. But they are good people. I'm not saying they're not. It's just that I don't buy into all of it because I can't. They're extremists. Well, who is? The the nuns are the extremists? No. Well, you, you could... Uh, I don't believe they're extremists because they take themselves out of secular life and live completely in the religious life. But so who are the extremists? Well, I would say um, the Christians. You see, back then, we didn't hear the word Christian because all Catholics are Christian people. We heard the word Protestant because they protested against something. They broke away from Catholicism, and they were wasps. Uh, you know, uh, Protestants. But that word is not speaking, uh, not not spoken um, as if it's the N-word. It's just not heard of. So I, I don't bring it up. I don't say With the word wasp is, is similar no, to the N-word? No, no I'm sorry. Um, uh, uh, the word, um, what was I saying? I'm trying to think so quickly. Um, the word, oh, Protestant. It's a dirty word. 
it's mm-hmm. not spoken. Um, and and I'm not all that religious. I told one of those sisters over there one time when she called me, uh, I said, I am spiritual. If I was all that religious, I, I wouldn't be listening to Christian Station. But all Catholics are Christian people. But I'm not all that religious. I don't go to church. I have my faith, and it's strong. Uh, it may have gotten stronger since I'm involved uh, just by listening. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Loretta. I, I'm not sure what to make of that with respect to these twin trends of, and, and again, not that the trends are necessarily related to one another, but these twin trends of the uptick in sexually transmitted diseases and the decline in Christianity. I guess you could make the case that the trends are somewhat related to one another, right? Because if there are more people that are adhering to a strict Christian dogma, then presumably there'd be fewer people having premarital sex and presumably there would be fewer STDs. But I think it's, I think the Christian thing is largely a demographic thing. And for whatever reason, organized religion in general, not just Christianity, but it does include Christianity, it has fallen out of fashion in this country. And if these trends continue, and I don't think that's a good thing, right? I mean, again, I am um, <clears throat> not a holy roller by any means, but I, um, I think that's a shame. I think that's a shame. And this STD situation is certainly a shame. 800-848-9222. Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you in just a moment. And uh, coming up in about an hour, we'll talk casinos. And in about two hours, we'll check in with Brian Kilmeade on the news of the day. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You know, Andrea True, before she was a recording artist, and this is a true story, she was actually a um, pornographic film actress in Scandinavia in the 60s, and uh, then, I think, did the same thing in the United States. Um, she, I'm just looking this up now. She performed in more than 50 hardcore pornographic films through the 70s and uh, the early to mid-80s. And during her heyday, as a porn actress, she was hired by a real estate business in Jamaica 
to appear in their commercials. And while she was working there, the Jamaican government banned asset transfers in response to sanctions imposed by the United States uh, after the election of Michael Manley, who was a supporter of Castro. And so in order to return to the United States, Andrea True had to either forfeit her pay or spend the money before she went home. So what did she do? What would you do? Well, she was, at this point, trying to break into the music industry. She chose to invest the money and recorded a demo of this song, More, 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 which uh, she'd been working on for a while. And then that is how the Andrea True connection was born. She had to spend this money before she came back into the United States. Isn't that wild? Just goes to show you, sometimes you never know how things are going to turn out. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Yes, good morning, Frank. I want to give you a agnostics perspective on this issue that you've been talking about. But first, I have to take issue with the new uh, theme for Space Force. Of all the Japanese cars that they could rip the name off of as part of their theme song, they had to pick the Supra. <laughs> Why not the Ultima or the Maxima, which sound much more majestic than Supra? Well, I think it's just because the word. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think you're being funny, but I think it's yes, just because of. God, I was making a joke. The, no, well, that's uh, uh, that's uh, that's that's nice to hear. But I, Supra is Latin for above. I think that's all it is. I think that's what the car was trying to go for too. Okay, so anyway, I've been an agnostic pretty much my entire life since I went to Catholic school in Massapequa, of all places, which Brian Kilmeade is very familiar with because that's where he still lives. But anyway, the issue that I have with what you were saying is that you're kind of implying that there's a relationship between lack of sexual morality and lack of Christian religion, which I think is a bogus connection. I know plenty of people who think similar to myself who are not you know, going out and, and – um, I forgot that word – fornicating all over the place or taking unnecessary risks with our health, plus – I don't steal, I don't cheat, I generally don't lie, and I don't need fear of some lightning bolt from above or flames from below to make me that way. I think this religion thing is a crutch for a lot of people, and it's a way of controlling people because if you can get people to suppress their natural sexual urges, you can get them to do almost anything. Look at the Catholic Church. Why do you think there's all this stuff going on with molesting young boys in the Catholic Church? Because you have priests that have been converted to this idea that it's unnatural to have sex because they became a priest. So what do they do? That doesn't attract normal people. No normal man is going to sign up for something where there's no sex for life. So this is where this stuff comes from. So I think it's actually working in the other direction to be overly religious. Mm, that's interesting. Well, look, I, I, I don't I disagree with you. I know plenty of what you you described as normal men that uh, are willing to take a vow of celibacy because of their adherence to their religion and their desire to be a priest or a brother. I, I many. Many, not one or two. I know many normal men that are willing to make that sacrifice, and it is a sacrifice. The The point that you make <clears throat> that I think is accurate 
is that I think a lot of people that might have been struggling with their sexuality, I don't think this is so much true now, but I think it was true 30 years ago. I think a lot of men who might not have wanted to come out as openly gay because it was still something of a taboo to be a homosexual in many families and in many communities, they went to the priesthood as a means of hiding uh, their, their true sexuality. Uh, so I think I think you might be onto something there, but I, I totally dispute your characterization of uh, what normal man would 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 do that. So I know plenty of normal men that have done it. Brian is in Michigan. Hello, Brian. Yeah, uh, yeah, quite interesting. You're you're in New York, right? I think so. Yeah, you know, well, I you know it's just amazing because lately you've been getting your single. I'm way up here in Michigan on the other side on Huron, so you know, it just that's a good it's signal. It's a powerful but signal, it, one of the most powerful in the country. Yeah, but I listen to radio every night, and I can't always always pick you up. I'm just letting you know. Since well, Brian, uh, what can we say? Your prayers have been answered. All right, there you go. A couple of topics, you know. Yeah, we're talking trends. Yeah, I got a concern with it. If we're dropping down and people that believe in the Lord along those lines, I think when I was a kid, I'm in my mid sixties. I think when I was a kid, we we're at seventy-two percent that what identify themselves as Christians. So what are you saying? We're dropping down ten percent. Eh, trends, you know. Trends are that, and they can go the other way. I don't know how many years you're looking at over trends, but uh, well, you know. we're looking from now to 2070. Yeah, well, I, I understood that, but the the trend that you're citing, you know, what is that five year trend? The last five years, or what? Well, it's been really since 1991. Okay, 91, huh? Okay. Well, I guess, you know, things do change, and I've seen a lot of changes in life, and, and I hate that if, if, when bad things really happen, people do find religion more, too. we got a lot of bad things going on, but we haven't been hit upside the head directly right here of any mass type of thing. So a lot of things change. But I do have switching topics, though, on the southern border now. Through experience, and we got to look at things logically on this. Uh, I believe in all people. I've traveled many lands, many continents, many countries as part of my work. Uh, and it was beautiful experience, whether it be Muslim lands or you know, all over, but especially down in the Caribbean. But when you're talking south of the border, Mexico and on down south. Now, the whole thing is when you get among these people, hey, there's some smart minds there. And I'm just telling you bluntly, we don't uh, – they need to fix their own countries. We can't do that. I've spent many years. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Brian. I, I, again, I don't think that has anything to do with what we're talking about. But you, I have said that very consistently. Um, you know, America can't solve the world's problems as much as we may try. All right, 800-848-9222. Let me run this by you. <clears throat> Speaking of solving other people's problems. So I've told you about my Uncle Steve, Okay. My he's my my godfather. He also is my neighbor. Basically, he lives in my neighborhood. Walking distance, ten minute walk, not even maybe yeah, maybe ten minutes. And he met this woman on the internet, and then he met her in person. And within a month, maybe a month, maybe forty days, within forty days of meeting this woman, he decides to propose marriage. And they're now engaged. Gave her an engagement ring, and they're very excited about moving forward with being married. 
she because my uncle uh my uncle's wife passed away his stepson passed away and he's had a his his partner who was one of his best friends passed away his business partner um he's been very he's had a rough few years and he's been very lonely and because he's so lonely one of the things that he's done is he's gotten cats and he's now i think up to three cats he had one with his wife when she was alive, then acquired two more since uh, she's passed away a couple years ago. So he's got three cats that he lives with now. Now, he knew that um, his new fiancé was not crazy about cats. Now, um, turns out it's worse than the fact that she's not crazy about cats. She, he, my uncle called my wife the other day, and my wife put him on speakerphone. And he said, I need you to do me, to my wife, need you to do me a big favor. What is it? And my uncle describes the situation and says that his his future wife, his fiance, is allergic to cats. And he's got three cats. So what do you do? So my uncle is very, he's close to all the cats, but he's very, very close to one of these cats. To one. So he said he asked us to take this one cat that he's closest to. And um, he's going to find homes for the other two, but he would not be able to live without seeing this one cat. And we live close by, so he wants to be able to come visit the cat so that he doesn't miss him too much. We already have three cats, which I have to tell you is already a bit much. Okay? So... um, that's where we are at the moment. So what would you do? I, I, we told him that we would discuss it and we'd get back to him. It's not something that needs to happen in the next week, in the next month, but, you know, realistically in the next four or five months, it does, it would need to uh, happen. So uh, I'm curious what you would do in this position. 800-848-9222. Um, I don't think the co- we haven't discussed this with him, but I don't think the cost, which is substantial because we're taking... Um, one of our cats to the veterinarian today, and you know if you have pets, any vet visit is really, really costly. So uh, I don't think the costs are an issue in taking on this extra cat because I'm sure he would agree to pay the vet bills or the pet insurance for any any future cat, you know, that he's asking us to shoulder. I don't know. We have one cat that's very temperamental that uh, Melchizedek, he doesn't get along with anybody, and he barely gets along with one of our cats. He kind of gets along. He does get along with one. He does not get along with the other. But uh, I can't imagine he's going to react well to another cat. When we've watched cats that other people have asked us to watch before, it's always been, it's always been a disaster. So I'm curious how you think we should approach this. And what you would do in that situation. 800-848-9222. I I don't know. Uh, I'm very very conflicted because I had hoped that three was going to be our maximum of, of cats. And the thought of living with a fourth cat does not appeal to me. That being said... Uh, I really don't want to turn my uh, my uncle down. 
and uh, and you know, and he was crying on the phone as he was asking my wife about this because he's so attached to this cat, but he also wants to do right by his um, new wife. I mean, I'd love to try and work out a situation here, and my wife is a very fastidious cleaner, which my uncle is not. And my wife was saying, you know, if they if maybe they can limit the cats to one certain area that um, that his wife wouldn't go to and maybe she wouldn't feel allergic. Maybe that's a solution. But um, I don't know. I said we would get back to him. And I imagine we'll have a conversation about it this this weekend. So I'm curious how you would handle this. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Julie is in New Jersey. Hello, Julie. Hi. Um, you may want to consider talking to uh, Curtis's wife about it, uh, since they know so much about uh, cats and how to get them together with uh, other. Because there's a whole process uh, as far as introducing a new cat into a house. Sure. No, I know that. We, I mean, stuff. my wife went through that with with her other two cats. Uh, right, but um, you know, and not only that. And so your uncle considers this is something else on the side, being that he's a little older, and you know, making sure that he has, um, um, you know, when he's remarrying and stuff, as far as his will and everything is in order, and to consider talking to relatives also about those concerns. That's that's it. Yeah. Well, I, he's uh, thank you, Julie. I don't think he's going to be listening to us on that. He's not that old. I mean, he's only sixty years old. Um, but so it's not as if he's an old man, but, um, that's, uh, that's fair. All right. Let us say hello to Bob in Baltimore listening on WCBM. Uh, Bob, thanks for tuning in. Hello, Bob. Yes. Bob, thanks for listening. Yeah. Hi, my, uh, Frank, excuse me. Yes. Uh, I had to run upstairs because I was a little better reception, uh, on this phone, but what um, my suggestion to you with the cat situation mm-hmm. is take your uncle's cat and then give one or two of your cats away to a good to a good caregiver. Bob, there is a better chance if I suggested that to my wife. There is a better chance that she would give me away uh, than give one <laughs> of the three cats away that we have. That I can assure you is a. As is a non-starter. Uh, the, these three cats are—they're uh, they're going with her wherever she's wherever she's going. Oh well, well I can't—I don't know what to suggest. Can I mention some other thing that was brought up earlier? Yes, uh, if if it's illegal immigration, by all means, go ahead. Well, it won't be that. Okay, but it, with the Catholic Church, there's been some mention of that, Frank. And the situation you mentioned, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler. Joseph Stalin did have influence on the Catholic Church very materially with the sexual abuse and concealment scandal. And as dictators do, just a little background, he he knew, as, as dictators do, that, that they don't want religion because it competes with allegiance to their authority. So at least in the United States, uh, his plot to destroy the church from within was carried out by a woman by the name of Bella Dodd. She came from Italy uh, with the maiden name of Vizano with her mother and was a member of the Communist Party USA, Frank. And then starting in the late 
1920s for about 10 years, she placed into American Catholic seminaries men who were communist and of lower or no morals and, and even sexually deviant. Once those were installed into the church, they brought in successive waves like them, and that's why there's been this terrible uh, sexual abuse and concealment scandal to, to what's, what we witnessed just a few years ago in August, I think it was 2018, the attorney general there said that 301 Catholic priests molested uh, at least 1,000, and it may have been uh, several times that if all the victims had come forward. So that's the situation that we faced, and if there's any need for uh, and if there's any need for verification of that, Bella Dodd's testimony is in the congressional record. She actually testified uh, that she did that. So that's part of the reason. I don't think there's anything in, inherently, uh, like you said, that 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 there's nothing inherent uh, that men who uh, b b maintain celibacy necessarily revert to. Uh, th this type of deviant abuse behavior. Uh, All I right, Bob. Bob, thank you. I want to give other people an opportunity to comment. I, I'd rather not make this a whole, expl you know, discussion of um, sexual abuse within the, the Catholic Church or the clergy in general, because I can think of few things that are more of a downer than that subject. And I'm uh, trying to, you know, trying to do an entertainment show here, but. Uh, I appreciate that. 800-848-9222. Joanne is in Queens. Hello, Joanne. Uh, hello, yes. Um, I love a man who loves cats, and I prefer to be around cats. And I have like 800 square feet with 10 cats. And um, about this cat, I have solariums in my window. And um, I think uh, your wife should take the cat of this man because um, let the cats work it out. You have more room than I have, which will only give you four cats. Okay, well, that's one vote for four cats. Um, I'm hoping we can find another solution, honestly. I'm hoping we can find a way that the cat and his wife, his future wife, can coexist in the same house. That's my fervent hope. Um, I really would strongly prefer not to have a fourth cat. Strong. 800-848-9222. Paula is in New York City, the Big Apple. Hello, Paula. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, um, I am a bird mom. And um, she's a rescue and we've been together now. She had had two bad homes, and uh, I nursed her back to health, and we've been together now for 13 years, and I love her dearly. I have um, the view, I'm in a lot of bird groups, and this is a situation that I see comes up very often. And um, I have a view that, <laughs> I guess, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's completely wrong to even consider getting rid of or uh, rehoming any of them. So what would you do oh. if you were in my uncle's position? Um, yeah. Okay. It's a bit too late for that because I've thought of that because I, I'm i divorced and I've been single for a long time now and alone. And um, because I'm a conservative, I am really alone because I don't even have friends where I live in New York City. Very bad place. 
very few conservatives. Well, my well so conservative Paula, uh, and uh, again, I want to hear you um, yeah, your answer to my my question. But yeah. let me let me interject since you said that. I thought, no, it, um, why why if political um, companionship, political match, a political match is so important to you? Why wouldn't you move somewhere else where you're more likely to find some conservatives? Oh, thank you, Frank. That's what I want to do as soon as oh, I can afford it. All right. <laughs> All right. That's my plan, my dream. Uh, my dream is to move to Florida. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there, you'll, there's still no, there's no shortage of New Yorkers down there, that's for sure. Well, hopefully they're um, not of leftists. All yeah. right. So anyway, with the cat, to get back to the cats, um, uh, as I said, I'm in a lot of bird groups, and then you see women or men who have birds, and then they meet somebody, they're alone, they're single, or divorced or widowed or whatever. And then they meet somebody and um, then feel, because there's a problem with the new partner, uh, that they have to do something about getting rid of, yeah, rehoming or whatever. I am of the opinion that should never be done. I see, whether it's a cat, a dog, or a bird in my case, that's a family member. And um, it sounded like those cats were very important to your uncle, before he met this woman, and I don't feel it's right to all of a sudden meet a woman or a man, in my case. If a man, if I were to meet a man and, and they were, they, it turned out and we were compatible, let's say we were compatible politically in, in every other way, and um, then it came to my bird or the man, I would say goodbye to the man. Really? I don't care if Brad Pitt. Okay. Well, I don't care if it would be a millionaire. All right. Well, yeah, I I I can tell you. Thank you, Paula, and good luck. I hope you're able to uh, achieve your dream of moving to Florida. My uncle's not doing that, right? He's not as much as he's attached to this cat. He's not choosing the cat over the girl. I know there's a lot of people that would do that. He's not doing that. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. Midnight. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The great Tom Jones singing about a pussycat. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, join the 
uh, Facebook group. Just search Murano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. Uh, that's um, just M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Also, I would ask you to follow my um, my Twitter handle, at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Matt Blaze is uh, kind enough to put together all of our songs each and every uh, each and every day. By the way, uh, Matt Blaze, I was at a wedding yesterday, last night, and I got a uh, number of compliments on your musical selection. Maybe we'll talk oh, more about that later. Well, look at that. Uh, well, I think they were mostly talking about the songs that I pick, but uh-huh. <clears throat> they gave you credit. By the way, did you hear? Uh, did they play September at the wedding? No, that is the, one of the many virtues of an Orthodox Jewish wedding. Ah, uh, true. There was nobody playing September. It was on a Wednesday, which is not the best, but uh, nobody played. Nobody played September. It was actually um, no. I'll t- I'll tell you about it later. It was, it was a fun, fun, fun event. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Jacqueline is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Good morning, Frank. Good morning. Um, I have a suggestion with regard to the cat uh, for your uncle. If maybe they, you can find, you can help him find um, uh, a foster, someone to foster the cat that maybe lives in the area not too far from him. Um, usually they only do that like temper until the the animal finds a forever home. They do it with dogs. They do it with cats. But if he could find someone that would be willing to adopt a cat that lives in his area, that would allow him to visit with the cat. I think that would you know solve the situation for everyone. You and Rachel don't have to take on a force. Your uncle will still be able to visit the cat, kind of like uh, happens with children in an open adoption. You know, the if it's an open adoption, they can visit with the child. Well, yeah, uh, that is an idea. I do have, um, I do know a lot of people in in our neighborhood, so that 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 is not out of the realm of possibility. That's actually. I think a very realistic, um, a realistic possibility. Yeah, I think it would work out for everyone. And the other thing, if I can just add really quickly, sure. the gentleman that called in and was explaining to you about the infiltration of the uh, homosexual priest into the church, he was a million percent correct. I watched a program about that on the Catholic Channel, uh, and he was absolutely uh, correct and accurate about that. Mm-hmm. I know you don't want to beleaguer that point, but I wanted to kind of back okay. him up. No, hey, uh, I, 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 I can definitely understand that. I can see where, why, how that would happen. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Gail is in Manhattan. Hello, Gail. <clears throat> Hi there. Um, I have um, five cats and three dogs in a small apartment. Wow. So my advice to you is suck it up and take the cat. You won't <laughs> find four cats much more trouble than three. Could I ask you another question real quick? You had mentioned, uh, talked a little bit about Pete, Pete Davison earlier on the program. What happened to the Staten Island Ferry that he and Colin Yost were going to turn into a nightclub? They got all this wonderful publicity, and now I don't hear a thing about it. What, yeah, what the heck that's a good question. Uh, it's a good question. I've wondered the the same thing uh, since April. I have not heard a word about it. No, I, I don't know what and it's the not latest on the internet. I tried to look it up. There's nothing. <clears throat> That's a good question. I will uh, I will look into that, Gail. I have no idea. It's you a great question. You're Staten Island, so we're counting on you to tell the truth. <laughs> I am happy to uh, to explore that. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Steve is in. Oh, sorry. Steve is in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. All right, Big Frank, and uh, you and Curtis broke one of the great urban legends, never marry a cat woman. And uh, before I say anything, when it came to beautiful women, I always waived political affiliation. I would waive a lot of stuff when it came to beautiful That's women. That's very, very big of you, uh, Steve, very big of you. Yeah, and uh, first of all, 
a lot of times when people say they're allergic to a cat, they it's politely way of saying they really don't like cats. Well, that's so what she, I wonder. I wonder if maybe she's exaggerating this allergy somewhat. No, you know, people will do that, especially if she's trying to, like, hook up with your uncle and stuff. He doesn't want to get on his bad side and say, listen, I don't like cats or anything. But I don't want to get too much into that because that's a personal relationship and that's something that they're going to have to settle and everything like that. But, you know, the guy did bring up uh, immigration for that other call. Everybody seems to sprinkle in something else in. People, they really, I always said they're going to make you sort of accept what's going on. People, I don't care who brings the illegals around the country. This is an invasion of America, and that is what's taking place, and that's how the hard left wins. They're laughing. That's what they want. They don't care where the illegals are in this country. They want them in here, and our policy is get in here. You stay. You don't hear any of these Republican candidates talk about deportations or eliminating the 65 All right, immigration. Thank you. It is the Morano corollary to the Godwin theorem. Eventually, whether you're talking STDs, Christianity, or cats, every conversation becomes about illegal immigration. Until then, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. So the U.N. is in town and not very far from where we are right now. And um, I have to tell you, I, um, I've always kind of wondered about the proper role of the U.N. and what it's really done in terms of promoting world peace or moving the ball forward. And I know the United Nations has done some good things, and I'm not here to say that, uh, that the U.N. hasn't done some good things. I just think, um, look, it becomes difficult to balance the inconvenience that those of us that live and work near the U.N. have to put up with versus what the U.N. actually produces. And so then I've been thinking about this a great deal with this China-Hong Kong situation the China-Taiwan situation, and obviously the Russia-Ukraine situation. And one of the things we've seen, and this includes when the United States violates the norms of international law, like with things like the war in the Balkans, like things like the war in Iraq. What is the problem with the U.N.? The pr- one of the many problems with the U.N. is that certain countries have a veto. United States, Russia, China, any permanent member of the Security Council can veto anything. So, really, if there's a U.N. resolution on something that's going to cause one of those entities to, you know, be on the receiving end of some international condemnation, that country will just exercise its veto power. So, a month or two ago... 
I came across an interesting idea, and I, I thought since the U.N. General Assembly is in town and President Biden spoke yesterday, in fact, if you didn't get to hear President Biden, here's a little bit of uh, what he said yesterday at the U.N. Let me also urge every nation to recommit to strengthening the nuclear nonproliferation regime through diplomacy. No matter what else is happening in the world, the United States is ready to pursue critical arms control measures. A nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought. So I was thinking of that a great deal today. This proposal from Taro Kono, the former Japanese defense minister, he said at a conference in Taipei last month that the global community, follow me here, follow me, the global community should create a United Nations Charter 2.0 in which no country has a veto. So now this proposal, when a serious diplomat like Taro Kono calls for it, not some blowhard on the radio, this is now getting a lot of attention. Because I think people, wherever you fall on the Russia debate, wherever you fall on the China-Hong Kong situation, wherever you fall on the Israeli-Palestinian situation, I think everybody recognizes there are some problems and the UN is not doing a good job addressing them. So a lot of people are taking this idea from Taro Kono to heart. Calling for a UN alternative was once a fringe idea, but it has edged towards more mainstream debate since Russia used its Security Council veto to block action against its invasion of Ukraine in February. So what Taro Kono is saying is, quote, this is from his remarks in Taipei, as long as dictators have a seat in the Security Council with a veto, we cannot take actions against aggression by dictators. Uh, The United Nations may continue to function as a token forum, which is, let's face it, That's what it is. What value is it really serving in terms of furthering world peace? It's great. It's a forum. It's great that countries can talk with one another. It's great. But in terms of concrete results, eh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to point to a lot of accomplishments on the global peace and stability front. They've done very well with things like um, combating certain diseases. That's uh, UNICEF. You can't say enough about UNICEF. But in terms of the big issues, more countries have nuclear weapons now than ever. What's really, what purpose is being served by me needing to sit in, in traffic for an hour and a half to get to work? I'm all for sitting in traffic for an hour and a half to get to work if that's going to mean countries are laying down their nuclear arms. But if... World leaders are going to come here to pontificate and use the platform of the U.N. to improve their own political standing. Eh, I'd rather just as soon not be in traffic. Kono said that nations should adopt a new charter that would supersede the existing U.N. charter and establish a body in which no single government has veto power. So he gave these remarks virtually at the Katagalan Forum Indo-Pacific Security Dialogue, which is co-hosted annually by Taiwan's Ministry of Foreign Affairs 
and a think, pa- a think tank in uh, Taiwan. Both Russia and China have drawn a lot of attention to the U.N.'s limitations by working to undermine the mechanisms that are there to supposedly support human rights and liberal political values. But the current National Security Council structure means that any attempt to change the structure of the U.N. or the Council itself in ways that would reduce the power of the five current permanent members would also likely be blocked. Meaning, in the grand scheme of things, it's like term limits, right? We always talk about term limits in Congress. The people that need to implement term limits are the congressmen themselves. So why would they do it? But um, meaningful reform could be impossible because these five countries, including ours, has a veto. But I like this idea. I mean, it's not without its risks because this does open the door to, I don't know, maybe some fears about one world government and things of that nature. But I feel like something's got to be done. Curious what you think of this idea. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. And if you don't like this idea, how would you reform the U.N.? Uh, 800-848-9222. By the way, I encourage you not only to listen to the podcast of this program and to subscribe to it at the other side of midnight, just to hit the subscribe button. Um, just uh, search The Other Side of Midnight on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever, and uh, search that and hit the subscribe button. But I have a t- an entirely separate podcast called The Racket Report with Frank Morano. And you can just search The Racket Report with Frank Morano on any podcast app, iTunes, whatever. You don't need me to list them. You, you, you have them or you could download them. They're all free. And this is a podcast which deals with the world of organized crime. My guest this week is Michael Franzese. Michael Franzese is a former captain in the Colombo crime family. His father was the underboss of the Colombo crime family. And I think, you know, you ever notice the people that are are the most mean-spirited on social media are also the least informed? I've noticed that whenever I post an article or an interview, the people that comment and make the ugliest comments are the people that have not read the article or it's clear by their statement that they haven't read the article or listened to the interview. And so I posted this interview with Michael Francis and one guy says, yo, you really cheapen yourself by doing this. Another guy says, why give a platform to these thugs? Well, it's impossible to have heard the interview and thought that I was, that's what I was doing because Michael Francis his story is a really inspirational one. Here is a guy who his whole life, he was raised in the street life, made millions on the street as a mobster. His father was a mobster, made millions as a mobster. And he turned his life around with the help of God and became a born-again Christian. And now he leads a model existence. And to me, this is almost like the story of Michael Corleone gone right To me, it's a really inspirational story. It's not about providing a platform for thugs. And I think anybody who would say that clearly didn't listen to the interview. I asked Michael, how'd you get out of the mob? Listen to his response. How did you get an opportunity to start a new life for yourself? Well, let let me try to summarize. First of all, you know, throughout my time in that life, I had 18 arrests. I had seven indictments, two federal racketeering cases, uh, one state racketeering case out of Florida. Um, I went to trial five times. Uh, 
I had a bullseye on my back from the time I was 20 years old. That's when they started with me because of my name. And it just never ended. So along with my navigating the life itself, just being in that life, I was a major target of the government from day one. They had a, and Frank, this is all verifiable, they had a 14-agency task force Mm. that would meet in the basement of Uniondale uh, Courthouse uh, twice a month, and their sole uh, mission was to take me down and put me away forever. I'll tell you how, what broke in my favor. Rudy Giuliani indicted me on a major racketeering case in 84. I was one of the first major mob guys he indicted under the RICO statute, me and Jimmy Rotunda. We were the lead defendants. I go to trial on that. The lead witness uh, against me in that case uh, was my partner in the gas business. He turned informant. He got in trouble on an unrelated charge, turned informant. They put him on the trial in the Giuliani case. We destroy him as a witness. I get acquitted. The government was very upset. This was their star witness. They were ready to throw him out of the program because now they were indicting me on this whole gasoline racketeering case. Well, after he lost that case... I told my lawyer, and I was in jail at the time. They locked me up with no bail. I said, listen, I got some leverage. I just beat them on a big case. We destroyed their witness. Let's Mm. see if I can make a deal and cop a plea here. That's how I got this deal. I mean, I got a 10-year prison sentence, I mean, they didn't let me walk away. I had a $15 million restitution, $5 million in forfeitures. And, uh, you know, I went and did eight years in prison. But that broke in my favor because— had had I got convicted on a Giuliani case, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. He sure. would have given me at least fifty years. Sure. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I had some for, I had some good fortune in in the way things broke for me. We're going to talk casino gambling in about ten minutes. But if you want to comment on the proposal for a United Nations two point or anything else we're talking about, give me a call one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Greg is in Arizona. Hello, Greg. Uh, hi, Frank. Hey, uh, to, I'll, I'll just put a little foundation down ahead of time for the U.N. If you ever want to look at a failure, the League of Nations was not ratified in this country, but they did have a lot of countries that were in, and they had like 10 six, uh, failures in succession uh, through the 1920s. It was an absolute disaster. So with me, the fact that the U.N. gets anything done is a big plus. No, that's true. Uh, compared to the League of Nations. Um, yeah, so it's really, I, I'm, I've been, you know, um, yeah, kind of impressed uh, when you look at the bad start they had after the First World War. But you said we can talk about anything else, right? I mean, within reason. I mean, I, uh, all I would suggest for the back to the cat situation is that I think that your uh, uncle's fiance can probably take allergy injections, you know, and build up a tolerance to it. I did it with ragweed and pollen and, uh, in, in, you know, in the season like you're in right now. And uh, do you think that's what you might have, or you got a little summer bug? No, I have a cold. I have a cold. My son has the same thing. It's his first cold. Um, oh, yeah. And I'll be fu- By tomorrow, I'm going to sound as, as uh, fit as a fiddle. I better, because uh, tonight we're playing in this, uh, this Sid Rosenberg charity softball game, so I, I got to bring my A game. I can't be um, I can't be having my head in the cloud. So I am uh, I'm gonna I've been taking a lot of vitamin C. Been doing Zycam. I got I have some Ricola here, some throat drops, but uh, it's just a cold. Yeah, okay. I'm just curious. Yeah, because uh, I never heard you uh, uh, sign this stuff before, and then we're in allergy season right now. Uh, so I thought maybe, uh, yeah, maybe that's what you had. But but anyway, what do you think about the idea? You think your uncle's fiance is a needle phobe and she doesn't want to take the you know take the hit to go in like every week for injections and build up that tolerance? It, it, you know, it's a good question. I've only had one conversation with this woman in my entire life, and it was for about thirty seconds. So I really can't say. 
anything about her, right? I mean, I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about her. So I, 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 I think that that's a, a good solution. I mean, again, I think if you clean like my wife cleans, th- then, um, then a, a cat allergy is not. You know, it's it's not life changing. Uh, but she again, my wife suggested maybe limiting the cat to a certain room. But uh, I don't know. I, I really, I, I really don't know. I, I'm. Uh, you do people? How often would you have to take those injections? You, you build up. You have to go for like a weekly uh, shots for probably a few months, and then then it, you get up to like the fourth vial, which is the maintenance dose, and then it's like once every month, and maybe even a little bit longer. Depending on the exposure, it can be like four to six weeks injection. It's pretty, uh, and it works. Your body has a natural immunity. It just needs that push. It knows what to do, and it gets the injections. You know, it, 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 it repairs itself and builds up, you know, when you, when you introduce it gradually like that. It can beat it every time, and then they move you to the next vial. It's pretty interesting. It sounds like um, you know a thing or two about this, obviously. Have you done this? Yeah, I did. I had it for ragweed and pollen. Oh, I, I see, uh, but not for August. not for cats specifically. No, but the, everyone that was in the office, you get to know the people after a while, especially in the beginning. You know, the same. You know, it's a, a lot of the. You know, people are there every week, and um, yeah, they're telling. Oh, I have uh, this uh, mold, uh, dust, uh, allergy from like cats or dogs, dander. You know, it's all kind. Of, everyone's allergic to everything. They were food. They were treating people for food allergies. Hmm. Uh, when I was there, so it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty interesting. It's a really pretty cool system. Uh, no, it certainly is, uh, Greg. Thank you. I'm glad you're doing well. Hey, I, are I'm you? All right. Are you from New York originally, or you? You've always been in uh, Arizona. No, I was an Islander. I split in 1985 when the uh, when the Cuomo regime was coming into power. <laughs> Fair enough. It wasn't my scene. It wasn't my scene. My hey, another quickie. My my. Um, my grandfather's from Sicily, and he said, uh, never get mixed up with the mob. He said, everyone that I know that did, they're always regretted. You know, don't borrow that money from them. Don't do any favors for them. Just uh, stay back. You know, don't, don't get mixed up with them. And, well, uh, uh, I think and that's that, certainly very sound advice. Yeah, and that guy that was the, 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 uh, the, the interview you just had, you were playing that clip. You can tell he was beleaguered, man. The feds were on him, and they oh, don't yeah. let up. Oh, they yeah. keep coming, they keep coming, and, no, and that, you can't, you can't and, beat them. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Greg. Thank you. And that's why that interview, and some people said it was the best interview I've ever done, not just on that podcast, but just in general. It's really a cautionary tale about the dangers of getting mixed up in that life. It's not a glamorization of that life at all. I mean, it's not. You see, the guy ended up in prison, and his whole life was broken. His father, his own father, consented to have him killed. I mean, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement for that kind of lifestyle. And then he was able to get out. I think it's an incredible story. So I do encourage you to listen to it. Just search the Racket Report on any podcast app or... You can um, just go to WABCRadio.com, click on podcasts, and then click on the, the racket report and, uh, and find it there. Hey, uh, we are going to talk casino gambling in just a minute. Our new friends in Baltimore, Charm City, they might be familiar with some of the Maryland casinos. We're going to compare the Maryland casinos versus the, versus the uh, New Jersey and Nevada casinos. Uh, when we talk with Michael Traeger of Travelzork in just a bit. Uh, Michael Traeger is a brilliant man, not just when it comes to casino gaming, but when it comes to the worlds of uh, travel, hospitality, leisure, things of that nature. So I'm looking forward to talking with him. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC Report. the AC report, even though we have broadened our scope to um, not only be airing all over the country, but uh, be discussing a wide variety of national issues related to the world of uh, casino gaming. And we do that because, um, you know, I I feel like um, people listening in Nevada or Baltimore or Arizona, you know, it's, it's like if we were to call it the Vegas report, nobody would question it. You get the idea of what it is. And for some reason, over the last 50 years, with Atlantic City legalizing casino gaming, it never really did become a Vegas of the East. It never really did become a um, a competitor, of an East Coast competitor to Las Vegas. And I think that's a shame uh, because it's certainly not not comparable in terms of size and grandeur to Las Vegas. There's a lot going for it. And I want to really tell Atlantic City's story to the whole country. You know, they had a sales meeting. And we'll bring in Michael Traeger in just a second. But they had a sales meeting at our radio station yesterday. And I think our owner, John Katsimatidis, said in the sales meeting, said, um, well, they should be sponsoring Frank's AC report segment. I got to tell you, that is the best idea that I've heard from anybody. I think every business in Atlantic City should be sponsoring this segment because it really is the best way to tell Atlantic City's story to the whole globe. I mean, look, we do tell you the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's happening there, but we also, we really do um, pr- do more to promote Atlantic City businesses, especially small businesses there, than any other show, I think, in the whole country, including shows that air in Atlantic City. So uh, if you are an Atlantic City business that is listening to this show, email me. You should absolutely be sponsoring this show. Frank, uh, this segment, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Now, Michael Traeger is somebody that I have an incredible amount of respect and admiration for. He is a luxury travel and casino gaming industry entrepreneur. He writes and hosts a podcast for travelzork.com, and he's the go-to guy on travel and on casino gaming. When I travel to a jurisdiction, and I have questions about casinos, he's the first person that I reach out to. So as uh, we look at what's happening in terms of Maryland casinos, 
I thought he might be somebody interesting to uh, reach out to in this instance. Michael, it is great to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on the show again. It's always a pleasure. Michael, let me begin um, by asking you, since this is the first time you've been on since we've added uh, WCBM in Baltimore to our growing network of affiliates, let me ask you about uh, National Harbor in Maryland. Uh, what is what is National Harbor in Maryland? Have you been there? What do they have to offer? I haven't personally been there, but it is a really, I mean, I hate to use the word sometimes iconic, but it really is a quite iconic MGM property. And it's it's really a flagship. It's a, it's a new build and it's a flagship property, very, very high end. And what's so interesting about it is it sort of completes this whole MGM collection of properties on on the East Coast because you've got National Harbor, they've taken over, MGM's taken over Borgata, and then you have MGM Springfield. So it's really, really interesting when you look at the big picture of what MGM's doing on the East Coast. Absolutely. And how, how old a property is it about? MGM National Harbor is i think you got me on that okay one. no i, I, I think mean, it's, it's not i i don't remember when what the opening date was but i think it's like about i think it's about seven years okay so it's relatively new it's not yeah uh, well gaming is re- relatively new in in maryland to to begin with so that's uh you know, and that property was a really big deal because of its proximity to Washington, D.C. Mm. So MGM National Harbor actually opened in December of 2016. So we weren't too far off there. Okay, no, absolutely. You mentioned uh, Encore Boston Harbor. That's uh, that's another MGM property? No. Encore Boston Harbor is a Wynn property. Oh, a Wynn property. Got it. That's right. Wynn, so Wynn, Wynn Las Vegas, uh, you know, Wynn Resorts uh, won the bid for the property in Boston. Now, what's interesting about Massachusetts is Massachusetts can only have its by regions. They can all, because they didn't want the ca- casinos necessarily competing with each other. So you've got the Springfield region where you have MGM Springfield. Then you have Plainville, which is just a... Uh, is just like a slots parlor. And then you have the Boston region, which win Las Vegas won. And I don't know if you saw the news recently, but win Las Vegas is the first bid for a casino in New York city. Really? I did see that. And uh, so what's the next step? What's the next step in that whole process? As far as you're aware, uh, I, the process is just, started. Uh, it's basically the bid was by a company that is the developer of Hudson Yards. I think it's called the Related Companies. And they it was just the first public announcement of a bid for three new casino licenses open to city developers. So that's going to be very interesting if, if Wynn actually opens a casino in New York City. And I think this is something we thought we might never see but it's really worked out quite quite well in Boston, and Boston sort of beat New York City to having a casino in the city, and that's that's sort of an interesting market because casinos never most most of the time you never consider there being cas- casinos in major cities. But if you also look at Bally's, which is the same Bally's that's in Atlantic City, they're doing a huge development uh, in Bally, Chicago. So really? they're going to have a casino in Chicago. So this whole landscape has changed, right, with all of these casinos in major metropolitan, you know, literally in the cities. You, you mentioned all these casinos. There is a concern that a lot of people have, especially people that are associated with the existing casinos, 
of casino saturation. How legitimate of a fear is that? Or is the existing gambling market going to cannibalize itself so that the casinos that are already in business can't stay in business? Well, that's always that's always been a concern. Look at Atlantic City, right? Right. You've lost quite a few casinos in Atlantic City. And, you know, one of the major criticisms of Atlantic City for so many years is they didn't pay enough attention to, you know, to the competition. You know, when Atlantic City was the only game in town, right, until the early 1990s, when you all of a sudden, you know, this Foxwoods opened up and pretty much so Atlantic City conceded the Boston market to Foxwoods and Mohegan and said, ah, we're not so worried about that. But they should have like in their mind really thought like, what's going to come next? And then eventually you have Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, and that's, you know, and especially Pennsylvania, which is, you know, last time I checked, Pennsylvania is the second largest gaming jurisdiction, you know, the most volume in the, in the country. So that's really taken you know, that's really taken a toll on, on Atlantic City. But part of that is Atlantic City's fault for not staying oh, yeah. ahead of the game well, when, when those was, things are on the horizon. That was one of the big criticisms of Donald Trump that I've heard from people in Trump world, people that worked uh, for, you know, Trump's casino uh, company, is he did, he wasn't willing to invest and upgrade at a time when they were in a position to do so, and then when he was willing to, then I've heard that it was too it was too late to do that. They were not in a position to to do that. Have you have you? Uh, and that was one of the factors that led to you know his partners kind of pushing him out of the casino business. Have you heard that same thing? Yes. I mean, the investment, I mean, what's so, what's so interesting about Atlantic City is there were so many missteps, missteps with regard to paying attention to the competition, missteps with regard to reinvestment. When you think about it, I mean, the predictions for Atlantic City, and it was just so interesting when you said this at the beginning of the show, you know, the predictions about Atlantic City were huge. There was a a very famous blackjack player called Ken Ustin, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who had written about Atlantic City right after resorts opened. And, you know, he was predicting like, this is going to be the new Las Vegas. Mm. And I actually pulled up the quote from his, you know, from his book. And and the end of this this one quote says, although open only for a few months, the beach and the swimming, augmented by the fet, fet, festive atmosphere of the boardwalk, offer the tourist far more than the Vegas Strip. And he was saying, I think very few people understand the explosion that will take place or the way that AC is going to look by 1985 as casino after casino opens along the boardwalk. I expect that quality shops and restaurants such as Gucci's, Tiffany's, Saks Fifth <laughs> Avenue and so on will also open. And this is right after resorts opened in 1979. And this is before Caesars open, you know, Caesars and Bally's, uh, Caesars and Bally's open. So it's so interesting uh, you know, the, per the perspective of somebody who was one of the best blackjack players in the world and a real big casino person, you know, was saying, wow, this Atlantic city, I mean, this has got, this has got Vegas beat once it develops and yet it never really happened. Well, it is funny to go back and read and read some of those quotes. We're talking with uh, Michael Traeger. You can read and listen to some of his work 
at TravelZork.com. All right, let's talk about what's happening in Atlantic City. Aside from uh, the gambling aspect of things, I think the thing that probably gets the most attention is uh, dining and nightlife. Um, one of the best restaurants, as far as I'm concerned, in Atlantic City is the Old Homestead at Borgata. I think Old Homestead in uh, Atlantic City at the Borgata is actually better. I, I know this is sacrilege to say, but I think it's actually better than the original in, in Manhattan. What's going on with the Old Homestead? Well, Old, old Homestead has not truly been renovated since the opening of Borgata, as far as I can recall. So they're doing a pretty major, you know, revamping or renovation of the space. And they're going to reopen by the end of the year. And they have a pop-up version of the restaurant right now. But basically, it's going to be a, a complete revamp, which is really exciting because, like you said, it's a really popular brand. The, the only thing that I'll interject is that my favorite steakhouse in Atlantic City is Vic and Anthony's at Golden Nugget. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved Vic and Anthony's at, all, at Golden Nugget. So that's, that's going to be really interesting at uh, Borgata. Also, just... Today or yesterday, the official opening of Hell's Kitchen at Caesars Atlantic City happens. Now, that's, that's a Gordon that, Ramsay property, right? That's a Gordon Ramsay restaurant. Restaurant, right. right. And, it's, and it's the Hell's Kitchen. And remember, Caesars is going real heavy on, on Gordon Ramsay uh, restaurants. Actually, what's really sad, and I'm sure you you might have mentioned it before or it came up on the story that Nero's at Caesars just recently closed – and a lot of those employees are going to, you know, Hell's Kitchen Ramsey. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I no, I hadn't seen that. Um, I did see that at the Trop, Hash House A Go Go is now open. Now I've been to Hash House A Go Go in Las Vegas. Some of the best breakfast in Las Vegas. I think that's going to do well out there. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, breakfast breakfast places are great. I mean, that's one of my slight pet peeves about casinos lately and the COVID did not help with this is that one of the most wonderful things about casinos is that you always had 24 hour dining, right? In every single casino, you had 24 hour room service and 24 hour dining. And it absolutely drives me crazy that, you know, dining has been scaled. There isn't anywhere near as much 24 hour dining. You have 20, you still have 24 hour gambling, right? But you don't have 24 hour dining in most instances. Why did that, why did that change? I would have thought that uh, that was a very popular feature to keep people gambling for 24 hours i think it's it's just been been cost cost containment or cost cost cutting i think part of it also has to do with with labor and management you know of the of the properties i mean you still have a couple of 24 hours i mean bread and butter at at borgata still 24 hours but there was a time when Metropolitan was 24 hours and they had that great uh, restaurant at Bally's uh, six that was 24 hours. But to me, I guess I always have I always love that like quintessential 24 hour coffee shop where you could go and get breakfast all day long or, you know, no matter what, you just had a you had a menu that was available all day. You know, I, I actually didn't realize that Metropolitan at the Borgata was no longer 24 hours. When did that happen? This is quite a few years now. 
I, it's really disappointing. Bread and butter, yeah. you know, bread and butter is good, but it's still, you know, I don't, my personal opinion is if I've been gambling all night and I want to go get a bite to eat before I go to bed and it's 4.30 in the morning, I like want to sit down at a proper table. I love having like some level of service. Somebody brings you a cup of coffee and you just sort of relax. Absolutely. As opposed to like the bread and butter kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a it's cafeteria more... almost. Exactly. Uh, right. And... No, I'm with you on that. There's something very satisfying after losing $1,000 at blackjack to at least have somebody bring you an omelet, right? I mean, it does seem uh, like you're getting something. No, a comp, but it's going to be a comp omelet. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> or or a $1,000 omelet. That's, that's right. <laughs> hey, um, I, on, the, um, on the unfortunate note with the, respect to the Atlantic City dining scene, apparently the Piccadilly, Plub, the Piccadilly Pub, a legendary Atlantic City institution, which is known for, among other things, its wings – they are closing after 30 years of business. What's going on? How can the Piccadilly close? Times times change. I mean, this is, you know, this this is so hard for me when I see that kind of thing. This this goes back, you know, so when you look at Piccadilly and you think about those 30 years, I also think about something like Nero's at Caesars, which was open for over 20 years with many of the same employees. And it's just it's so sad to see to see some of the like institutions uh close i mean and i don't you know i guess that's sort of where we're we're going not that i have anything against uh you know the whole gordon ramsay franchise or any of the any of the big kind of big name restaurants but i just loved all of the the smaller you know just the more intimate kind of owned restaurants by people that had their own personality that you could only go to that restaurant. Absolutely. And I think, and I think that's something that's really, cha- you know, really starting to change. And a Nero's is to me a really big deal at Caesars uh, closing because those oh, kind of restaurants that were known for the property. And they also used to have a great Italian restaurant at Caesars called Primavera, you know, and that, that closed a few years ago. So that's, that's sort of sad. I mean, at least, I mean, at least at this point, you still have, you still have old homestead at, at Borgata, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, uh, no, absolutely. but I mean, things just, things just keep changing that way. And I just don't, I don't think there's any, I don't think, unfortunately, there's any way to, there's any way to stop it. The last time you were on the show and we're talking with uh, Michael Traeger, travelsork.com. The last time you were on the show, uh, we talked a little bit about craps, and I received a an email from our mutual friend Ed. On um, he said that my betting method at craps, is, I'm shortchanging myself in terms of craps ah my craps comps, and I'm not doing the right thing in terms of craps comps. Now, if I'm going to play craps, what's the best way for me to maximize my comps? Well, the thing with craps, which is really tough, is that the, your best bet at the craps table is the free odds, the odds bets behind your line bet. The problem with that bet is that you do not get rated on the odds bet. So you're putting a decent amount of money out, backing up on the odds, which is the best bet, but you're not getting rated mm-hmm. on it. So mm-hmm. I think a little bit of what Ed was saying, and I advocate the same thing, is that Going heavy on the six and the eight, which are very low house edge bets as place bets, 
can be advantageous because the six, let's just six and eight are great numbers, right? They're the numbers most likely to be, to be rolled except for the evil number, Mm -hmm. uh, which we don't speak of. Mm -hmm. And, and that's like a 1.4% house edge. So it's a low house edge. And so you're giving up, you're giving up a percent from what you would have if you were doing free odds, let's say, but all of that bet is going to be rated by the casino. So that makes a very big deal. So if you had, you know, $10 on the line and it was five times odds and you had $50 behind, that isn't being rated as a $60 bet. That's being rated as a $10 bet. Whereas if you had a $30 six and a $30 eight, that's being rated as I get a it. $60 I get bet. It. So it, it sounds like uh, with that in mind, if I'm going to Atlantic City, a place that I might go to every month, or whether we're talking the, um, you know, the National Harbor in Maryland or the Encore Boston Harbor, and if it's a place that you go to regularly, you're better off playing for the comps by placing place bets. But if you're doing a trip to Las Vegas and you or and you're playing at a casino that you're not going to come back to again for another five years, the better strategy is to do the um, the pass line bet with full odds or the the come bet with full odds. Is yes, that fair? absolutely. Yeah, okay. You know those are, those are the best. But also remember now, which we've we've mentioned before, what's so interesting, especially when you're playing at properties, if you consolidate your play, remember you've got this great loyalty program, MGM Rewards, and that's connected with Harbor. Borgata mm-hmm. and all of the MGM properties in Vegas, like, you know, Bellagio. So, you know, from my play at Borgata, I get free rooms at Harbor. I get rooms in Vegas. So a lot of times you might start to think strategically, you know, am I going to be loyal? You know, if I like all of these MGM properties and I like getting sure. marketing offers, you know, so that's something to keep in mind too. So even though you think that you only go to Vegas once a year, yeah, but your play at Bellagio can actually impact offers that you'll get in Atlantic City or at MGM Harbor. You know, you referred me to a podcast that I'm going to check out. I haven't heard it yet. The Crap Craps Vegas podcast with these fellows, Josh and Chris. You write that they play craps 10 hours per day. My question, I would love to play craps 10 hours per day if I had the time. But even if I had the time, how does anyone afford to play craps 10 hours a day? They are pretty disciplined. They also have a bankroll, which is related to what their average bet is so that they can withstand the variance and the highs and lows. But these guys, I have never met guys, and I've played with them before, who you know, really love to play craps so much. And we have this coffee dice thing, which I think I'm the first one who instituted the name coffee dice. And we literally wake up at, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, grab our coffees and open up a dice table together. And it is so much fun uh, in, in Las Vegas. And I'm trying my best to get them to come out to Atlantic City because I think it would be a blast. But I have never seen guys who can play dice I'll as long say, as they can. Uh, it is, and they love, they will talk craps Every minute of the day. That's great. That, I love the it. Craft gonna... Vegas podcast, you will get such a kick oh, out yeah, of it. Yeah, I just it's... subscribed. I just subscribed. I'm going to check it out. Hey, um, it's it's the, great. The, let me ask you, the game that I enjoy, well, not enjoy, but the game that I end up playing the most other than craps when I'm in a casino is Baccarat. Now, most of the casinos, they have 
mini Baccarat tables. Most of them have a commission, meaning you have to pay the casino a little bit of a vig if you uh, place a bet on the banker and the banker wins. Um, Sometimes you'll get lucky and find a no-commission Baccarat table. You don't really see, at least I don't, in Atlantic City, any of the old-school Baccarat tables like you might have seen in the old James Bond movies, like Casino Royale or things of that nature. Why is that? Where are those old Baccarat tables from the James Bond movies? You know, part of it is the style of play has has changed. Also, one thing to remember when you talk about the no-commission Baccarat and the commission Baccarat, Really, the the commission just equalizes uh, the bank and the player. So the house edge is the same. So the no commission, there's a rule change to it. But basically, it's not the no commission isn't necessarily a isn't is really not a better game. The rules are just different. So you should never worry about playing the commission bakra versus the no commission bakra. But when you get to you know, there used to be a big bakra table, and what was amazing about bakra and Borgata was the last casino in Atlantic City to have this, is that the players actually dealt the cards. So you had a table with three dealers and the shoe would move around the table. And as long as you kept, you know, doing banker hands, as long as you kept doing banker hands, you kept the shoe and kept dealing the cards. And obviously the high player hand would deal. So it was not only that you were facing the cards, but you were also dealing the cards. And part of the reason why that's disappeared and they had a great game also at Bally's too. At Bally's actually even had a 25, they had a $25 uh, big Baccarat table. But part of the reason why that's disappeared is it had so many dealers and the game is slow. And a lot of Asian players don't like dealing the cards. They like facing the cards, but they don't like dealing the cards. Now I always like- Is that a superstition thing? Is that a germ thing? What's that about? I think it's just because it's too slow. I see. You know, because you you have to pull out of the shoe, card for the player, card for the banker, you tuck it under the shoe, card for the player, card for the banker, then the player has to face their cards and you face yours, then you have to, if there's a draw, you have to draw the card. And it's just slower than, if you think about it, like, you can deal the cards as slow, you're going to deal cards much more slowly than dealers are. But I always thought it was great because when you had a banker run, you actually have the shoe and you're the one that's like totally controlling, like all the dealing of the cards, all the facing of the cards. And I just thought, it, it yeah, that, really that's exciting. what's so cool about Baccarat in the movies. When you see those James Bond movies, you see, uh, uh, you know, an old school player, you know, doing that. Uh, but uh, it's certainly it's certainly interesting to see. And uh, we've been talking with Michael Traeger. He's with the uh, TravelZork.com podcast. Well, well, not just the podcast, but the website, which includes a podcast. What's going on over at TravelZork, Mike? What what can people uh, learn if they visit uh, TravelZork.com? Well, a big part of what I do, sort of quote my day job, is luxury travel advising. So we have we have TravelZork Travel, and a lot of I like to talk to people about vacations, especially casino vacations, love to suggest places like going to Bahamar in the Bahamas. But another thing that we talk about, we talk about casino loyalty, like we're talking about MGM rewards, but we also talk about travel loyalty a lot and how to use your frequent flyer points and how to, when you should use your hotel points. And I think it's one of those subject areas that people find extremely confusing, but extremely interesting. So that's something Mm -hmm. that we love to talk about a lot. And I know you 
you have some loyalty, right? Like to Hilton with points and I, you know, I, I feel like I sign up for all these programs and never end up using the points. I'm the worst with this kind of thing. I, I have to pick a day where uh, I just see, check in on all this stuff, my frequent flyers, my this, my that. Uh, I always I never leave home without my uh, my casino comp card, though. That's for sure. Michael, um, I have to run. It's always it is a treat to talk with you. I'll look forward to our next engagement. Absolutely. Thank you again for having me on. My pleasure. This is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. You want to comment on any portion of our conversation? If you have questions as well, you're welcome to call 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Baltimore by Prince. Yes, that's right. This week, we are celebrating our arrival in Monumental City uh, as we are airing on WCBM, Talk Radio 680 AM. Very proud to be a part of that. A couple of quick programming notes here. I am still continuing with my obsession with AI art where I type a text prompt And then a computer with the modifiers that I give it will create a piece of art. So I just posted one of my recent creations, if you want to see it, facebook.com slash Morano fan. The text prompt in this piece of art, which I think is pretty good, is Peter Falk. He was, of course, Columbo, among many other things. Peter Falk joins the Columbo crime family. That's the text prompt. You can see what the computer came up with, with the modifiers that I uh, suggested. Hey, so I'm looking on um, television on one of the local news channels. They have a a whole story about the first season of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, which I I think um, certainly as far as first season goes, was very positive and uh, a great foundation for the future. But... I'm going to be actually playing in this game tonight, and I'm hoping to get rid of this cold by then, in this charity game that my colleague Sid Rosenberg has uh, has organized. So that's going to be fun. I think we're going to get good weather tonight in New York. There shouldn't be any rain or anything like that. But um, we'll see how that goes. So hopefully people will uh, will come out to that. I think you can buy tickets at the door. If not, I'll I'll share the link on uh, all my social media outlets if people want to buy tickets in advance. I think it's $20 to go to the game, and it benefits uh, the charity that um, that, that deals with the, the ailment, I don't know what the proper term is, that uh, that Sid's son Gabriel uh, has. So um, I know Sid is uh, taking this very seriously, and I will too. So it's going <clears> to <throat> be something. It's uh, dyspraxia. So it benefits the Dyspraxia Foundation. Uh, dyspraxia and developmental coordination disorder. Are you coming to this game tonight, uh, Matt Blaze, by any chance? I'll be waking up. You'll be waking What time is the game? Do you know? I have no idea, but I'm assuming it's <laughs> in mid, probably 6, 7 o'clock, right? Right, right. You wake up at 6 o'clock? Yeah. 
I got to sleep around 10. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. See, that's smart. I, I, I think that's part of my problem. I, I, got, I, I always say I have to work out a different system where I stay up later, but uh, it's not yeah, working out. I, I, I look at it like this. I just shifted myself 12 hours. So if I work from – instead of working 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. like most people do, I work 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I go to sleep at yeah. no, 10 o'clock sense. and do it that way. Now, Kenneth, 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 what am I going to do with you? <clears throat> now, Kenneth is great. He's a hard worker. And um, obviously, as as he and others have, have already said, he's a very handsome guy. Um, and Kenneth's very on top of things. Whenever a listener wins a prize, he is always very good with, um, you know, giving the prize to the promotion department so they can send out the hats and so forth. So anyway, um, Kenneth um, was kind enough to send out a prize notification for, you know, the uh, winner of the other side of Governor's Island. Now, I think if Kenneth would have just said, hey, Frank wants to give a hat to this person would have been it would have been done but instead you phrase this email as if we're we're redoing you know we're redoing the format of the show the promotions people are writing back oh no we can't do unauthorized contests we have to get sign off from legal just going forward if it's any if it's one deviation from what we do every day just just say oh frank wants to give this person a hat and i will happily buy this hat for this person. I bought a lot of hats at the, and if you want a hat of the other side of Midnight Hat or, or anything else, a shirt, a mug, I, I'm, I think I'm our own best customer. You can go to wabcradiostore.com. But, but less scrutiny. We want less scrutiny. That's what we want. No, no drama, no scrutiny, no bureaucracy. We want to just do our thing. All right. <clears throat> Brian Kilmeade. Joining me in a half hour, we'll talk about Biden's speech to the U.N. and a whole lot more. Until then, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. A couple of quick things here. One, hey, speaking of Atlantic City, I meant to play this earlier. I was listening. I made the mistake of listening to Curtis Lewis' show on um, Saturday morning at three twenty in the morning, and he had such a, a really informed guy call in, and uh, he had all sorts of interesting things to say about Atlantic City. And then Curtis had to pretend to know about Atlantic City, which and, and Curtis does know a little bit about Atlantic City. He's been there and he knows about the crime problem. But I'm, in terms of the political corruption uh, problem, Curtis is basically rephrasing things that he's heard me say to this guy 
to make it out like wow. he actually knows what's going on in terms of Atlantic City. But I thought this guy was so interesting. And um, this fella moved, I think, from New York to Atlantic City. And Curtis asked him, and I thought it was a good question, why would you move there? Why would you move to Atlantic City of all places? And this was his answer. Now, why did you decide to move to Atlantic City if you're not a gambler? Well, you mentioned my hometown every once in a while, Spring Lake. It's got kind of costly, you know, and, and I'm sort of a I'm sort of a blue collar kind of guy, and I want to live by the beach, but I want to uh, I don't want to pay too much. And I thought that was as good a reason as any. And when my wife and I would love to get a second home one day, a vacation home at the Jersey Shore, we love the Jersey Shore, but a lot of the places we like to go, Cape May, Brigantine, Ventnor, it's all. A fortune. costs a fortune. Atlantic City, it, even though it's a stone's throw from Ventnor and Margate and uh, Brigantine, it's very affordable. Now, you still have the issue of the taxes. A friend of mine has a condo in Atlantic City. He pays more in property taxes on his condo than my wife and I pay on our house. Isn't that crazy how out of control the property taxes are there? But whether you're in Atlantic City, whether you're in uh, Las Vegas, whether you're in the Catskills, or, or actually, <clears throat> you don't even need to be in a casino. If you're interested in legal sports betting, that's big now, all over the place. Last week, I talked about how I had won my weekly football pool, and I'm hoping to do the same. Now, I don't think it would be accurate to say that I know nothing about football, because that's not true. I watch football. Um, I don't follow it obsessively. I put the game on. That's pretty much the extent of my... And I know the rules, okay? But when I say I know the rules, if you really, really got me... um, started quizzing me on the intricacies of a fair catch and an onside kick, then maybe maybe there are some rules that I don't know. But I, I know the game well enough, but I'm a casual fan. I don't think I could name more than 20 players. But I said, since I won last week, that I would give you my picks for all the football games this weekend. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something that I've never done for anybody. I'm going to let you know. I'm going to let you in on my incredibly unscientific system for how I'm making these picks. There is almost no scholarship, almost no method. It's like, do you remember the Cheers episode when Diane was in their football pool and she would pick the um, the, the football teams based on which cities had the best opera houses? That's basically what I'm doing, only much less sophisticated. So here are my picks, and I'll do this as long as I keep winning the uh, the pool. If I win again this week, I'll do it again next week. If I lose this week, then I won't do it next week. All right. So I'm going to tell you what games I'm picking and why. Thursday night game tonight. Thank you. Cleveland is favored by five and a half over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who are you picking? Who do you, I am picking Pittsburgh. Why? Because that was Rush Limbaugh's favorite team. Going with the Steelers. Um, <clears throat> Sunday, the Saints are favored three and a half points over the Carolina Panthers. I am picking the Carolina Panthers. Why? Because I find it so annoying when the Saints fans say, who dat? And they go all over town saying, who dat, who dat, who dat saying they're going to beat them Saints. I hate that. Who dat wants to. These people have been embarrassed. 
Udat wants to uh, throw his remote control at the television. So I root against the Saints in almost every circumstance because I find their fans so annoying. I find the people of Houdat Nation to be among the most annoying fans in the world. So I'm rooting against them no matter what. Now, Chicago and Houston. I am going with Chicago because I really enjoyed that Saturday Night Live segment on the Bears. And I always liked Mike Ditka. The uh, Kansas City Kansas City is favored by six and a half over the Indianapolis Colts. I am going with Kansas City because uh, I used to really like Joe Montana and Elvis Gerbeck, who used to play for Kansas City, and I really like uh, Pat Mahomes. And I was uh, I was I enjoyed that Super Bowl they were in recently. So I'm going with Kansas City. Buffalo is favored by five and a half over Miami. I'm going with Buffalo because that's New York's only football team. Going with Buffalo. You see the science here? Okay. Minnesota favored by six and a half over Detroit. Now, this was the toughest pick that I had to make because I don't have a strong preference for either team. But I'm going with um, Detroit because that is the um, six and a half is the largest point spread of the whole weekend. So I figure Detroit, you know, maybe it pays to pick at least one underdog that's going to keep the game somewhat close, right? Can they get blown out? I like six and a half because if they were, if they were under underdogs by fifteen points, then it's such a mismatch that Detroit could never be competitive. But six and a half, it tells me, all right, all right, maybe the game could be competitive, but they're still getting a lot of points. So I'm going with Detroit with the points. All right, Baltimore and New England. I'm very grateful to Charm City and the people of Baltimore this week for putting me on the air on WCBM, 680 AM. So I'm going with Baltimore. Cincinnati and the Jets. I'm going with the Jets because they still have New York in their name. Uh, Tennessee and the Raiders. I'm going with the Raiders because I like Las Vegas and because my friend Darren roots for the Raiders. Um, The Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington, whatever they're called now, the Guardians, I am going with uh, the Commanders, the, the Cleveland Guardians. My goodness, how stupid is this? Needless to say, uh, I am not picking any team that changes its name for politically correct reasons. So I'm never picking Washington. I'm always against Washington. So I'm picking the uh, – unless they're playing the Saints. So I'm, I'm picking the uh, Eagles. Um, I'm picking the L.A. Chargers over, over the um, Jacksonville Jaguars because uh, I enjoyed that Super Bowl that they were in. Recently, and I figured the least I could do in appreciation for them entertaining me for the Super Bowl is to pick them. Uh, Rams and Arizona. I'm going with the Rams because when the Rams were still in St. Louis and they were in the Super Bowl, my friend Brian Goldstein really enthusiastically was rooting for the Rams in that Super Bowl. And for whatever reason, I can still hear him saying the phrase St. Louis Rams. And I found it endearing. As much as I found the phrase who dat annoying for the Saints fans, I found it as endearing for Brian Goldstein to say St. Louis Rams. So even though they're in L.A. now, I'm going with the the Rams. Seattle uh, favored by two points over Atlanta. I am picking Seattle, and here's why. Because many years ago, about 30 years ago, I met Joe Nash, who used to play for the Seattle Seahawks, and he was a heck of a nice guy. And uh, I met him, and he was uh, he, play, he had a long career in the NFL. 
And he was the f- only guy when they the first year that they did those throwback uniforms, which I think was ninety three or ninety four. He was the only guy that had worn the throwback uniform when it was their actual uniform. So I just thought that was kind of cool. And I used to have a poster of Joe Nash. Um, I don't think I ever hung it up, but I had a poster of him. And I met him, and he was a nice guy. So I'm going with Seattle just because I met Joe Nash 30 years ago. Um, This is a tough one to pick. Tampa Bay favored over Green Bay by two and a half points. I'm going with Green Bay because there's a Happy Days episode where Ralph, played by Donnie Most, who's been a guest on this show, where Donnie Most has a gambling problem. And I keep – see, it's just so funny how certain words and phrases just get stuck in my head. I think I get words and phrases stuck in my head the way some people get songs stuck in their head. They end up saying, you know, you know how you keep humming a song over and over again? That's how it is with me and phrases. I just keep repeating a phrase and a phrase and a phrase. And in that episode, Ralph says the words after he develops this gambling problem – Green Bay can't lose. And for whatever reason, that is stuck in my head because Ralph said it on Happy Day. So I'm going with that. Now, uh, Green Bay did lose that game from what I recall, but the phrase sticks. So I'm going with uh, Green Bay. I'm uh, going with the San Francisco 49ers over uh, over Denver because when I was a kid, that was my favorite football team. And I still have a soft spot for the 49ers. And Monday night, Giants and Cowboys, I'm going with the Giants because uh, because they still have uh, – because I like to root for the New York teams, even though they're technically a New Jersey team. So that's why. And I, uh, that's the completely unscientific method of my picks, which got me, uh, I think, $250 last week. So, hey, make your picks. That's what I'm recommending. 800 Eight four eight nine two two two. Hey, speaking of football, did you see this? I thought this was really, really neat. Uh, you know, Eli, Eli Manning, he was the quarterback for the Giants and the brother of uh, the other famous quarterback, Peyton Manning, the son of um, Archie Manning, won two Super Bowls with the Giants. You know what he did? I thought this was funny. I love when people do this. He put on a disguise, and he tried out undercover for the Penn State football team. So he went undercover as Chad Powers to try out for the college football team. This is a retired two-time Super Bowl-winning quarterback. He wore a, a wig, a fake mustache, and prosthetics. And he goes through the tryout, and this is for the um, this is for his ESPN Plus show, Eli's Places. And I think this is pretty cool. Here's a clip of uh, Eli Manning going undercover. Ever since I began pursuing my graduate degree in football studies, I've walked onto a lot of college campuses, but I haven't had the true walk-on experience until now. I'm at Penn State University, aka Walk On You. Coach Franklin. Eli, what's going on, man? Good to see you. What brings you to Happy Valley? You know, Coach, I'm here to learn everything I can about walk-ons. We call them run-ons here. Just trying to emphasize there's there's no walking part of this process. You know, that's true. But, you know, there is running that looks like walking. You know what I mean? You've seen Peyton play. Yeah, I've seen you play, too. (laughs) So that's the coach of the Nittany Lions. The coach was in on it. James Franklin was in on the joke. But, um... The other would-be Nittany Lions were unaware 
of Chad Power's true identity. They thought he was a homeschooled Pennsylvania prospect. And uh, Manning had a 40-yard dash time of 5.4 seconds. That didn't turn too many heads. That's not, you know, based on what some of these college players can do, that's nothing special. But things changed when he picked up the football and he sprayed it effortlessly all over the field. So um, people were very impressed at his ability to throw. Uh, Manning had played college football for Ole Miss before joining the Giants. So uh, I thought that was cool. I love when stuff like that, when people do stuff like that. You know, um, Funny or Die, the website Funny or Die, did a skit where the singer Jewel goes undercover in a karaoke bar and she sings a Jewel song. She sings one of her own songs undercover. And um, then under the and you can look up this video. It's pretty clever. Then you can um, and it's really neat to see people really getting into it and stuff. And then a little later, she comes back as Jewel and she performs the song as Jewel as herself. And a, a bunch of people in the karaoke bar said that they didn't know it was the same person at first. They they said that the other girl did a better job than Jewel did. So it's funny how people react when they don't know the circumstances. I love stuff like that. I'm, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. All right, 800-848-9222. Mike is in Lake George. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Uh, I just uh, always had a nice chat weekend. I'm in Long Beach the last couple of days. and uh, Not according uh, to my screen, you're not. <laughs> well, Lake George is in my rearview mirror. Uh, October, I'm going to uh, Myrtle Beach for six months. And, uh, and, uh, anyway, um, you know what, Frank, I'm listening. Always have a segment, always good show on Atlantic city. Thank you. I'm just going to, um, uh, give you a little rundown when I was a gambler, uh, Atlantic city. Um, you know, the action is always there. Uh, it got to the point, the last uh, sporting event I bet NFL was 30 years ago. You know, but um, uh, it, it's crazy. You know, I, I've said it on your show before, but, you know, you have to really, these young studs, you have to really think about, you know, what you're getting into. If you want to sit at a, uh, you know, a Texas Hold'em, the national game, uh, you know, no limit. Well, you better put your onions on the table and, and bluff because it could go either way. And, and it's not pretty. And the longer you do it, you know, you try to get even, you get even worse, which I, I mentioned, uh, Frank. Um, and also, I, I want to mention, um, I got my 50th reunion coming up uh, this Saturday. And I went to 12 years of Catholic school, okay? Um, and uh, earlier in the show, spoke about it. I'm just going to say this. The Catholic Church, you know, you really got to be more concerned about the image of the Catholic Church than what goes on behind its walls, you know? And I have a classmate. On Facebook, I, I read she uh, she had this uh, T-shirt. She goes, you're not going to intimidate me. You know, I was taught by nuns. And nuns with a metal ruler in their hand, that, that can be rough. You know? <laughs> but um, uh, all right, Frank. Oh, uh, good luck in tonight's game. And get a shot of vitamin C. I always liked OJ on the rocks. You know, you're still here. You got a little bit of a cold, but you're a trooper. Yep. Well- and uh Work that work that big glove, that leather with first base, and line drives with Sydney's uh, tournament, you know? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. Very nice of you. Hey, you know, um, real quick, I was listening to <clears throat> Anthony Weiner's show the other day. Not the other day. Maybe two or three weeks ago. 
and uh, or the podcast. I don't remember when I heard it, but um, it would have been the podcast because I've limited my electronic exposure on Saturdays. And he gave a statistic which I found simultaneously astonishing and not surprising at all. And what he said was 14% of all online commerce is happening on TikTok. TikTok. Now, I don't get TikTok. I'm not on TikTok. Based on the things that I've seen and heard about TikTok, it strikes me as the most ridiculous thing in the world and an absurd waste of time. That being said, I have a friend, a very close friend. She's one of my best friends. She is on TikTok, and she makes these videos of her eating and doing fake fart sounds, and she makes thousands of dollars with these sponsorships. Not only thousands of dollars, but they send her all these products to try, good products, uh, wine, and, you know, uh, that's how I discovered that Three Wishes cereal, all sorts of stuff. So uh, my friend uh, Lauren, very into TikTok. Uh, people are loving this TikTok. And I was always, le- first of all, I'm not looking to be part of another social media thing because there's just too much stuff. But I was always leery of TikTok because they're owned by a Chinese company. And it's bad enough that all these American companies have my data and all my information. I'm not really that eager to voluntarily hand over my data to a Chinese company because the only way you get to do business in China is if you're in bed with the government, right? And so this is basically like handing your information to the Chinese government. And that's one of the reasons, if you remember, nobody talks about this now. And I don't know if anybody else remembers this. President Trump, when he was in in office, he tried to ban TikTok or at least force its sale to an American company. But sure enough, TikTok is still out there. It's more popular than ever. And people are um, using it. They're all subscribing to it, even though it's owned by a Chinese company. So with that in mind, now there's a lot of good stuff on there. Like we we use TikTok as a a resource for collecting sound on various stuff. For instance, uh, we we were talking about quiet quitting before. And one of the leaders in the quiet quitting movement is a millennial by the name of Miss Frizz. And she talked about quiet quitting as a teacher. All right, so part two, I'm going to talk about how quiet quitting can apply to teaching. And basically, this is just working your contract and having strong boundaries throughout your day. This can lengthen your teaching career, or it can help you decide when it's actually time to quit. Quiet quitting means that when somebody asks you to do something that's not in your contract, you don't do it. Quiet quitting means you're not taking on extra work. You're not trying to prove yourself to admin. You are doing your job as a teacher. You are supporting your students. You are being kind and professional and all of the things that we are, but you're not doing extra. This is not the time to do extra because extra is how you get burned out and let people take advantage of you. Quiet quitting can look like not spending your own money on your classroom. It can look like not bringing work home from school. My favorite is it can look like walking into your building with your coffee, your keys, maybe just a purse, no backpack, no extra stuff. It's closing the door during planning and just getting stuff done. Let's try it. I hate this whole quiet quitting movement. I I find this so distasteful. And I'm not saying that you you should live for your job 
And I, I get it. Maybe not everyone loves their job no. as much as I do. But I really think that, um, you know, I don't know. There's something admirable, I think, about going the extra mile in your profession, whatever it is. If you're so miserable in your job, all right, look, I guess it's easy for me to say because I have a job that I love. But if you're so miserable in your job, do something else. Do something else. Uh, But anyway, as far as TikTok goes, the boss of the German media conglomerate that owns major U.S. media outlets like Politico, which is dramatically expanding, um, he is calling for a sweeping ban on TikTok, arguing that the video sharing apps ties to the Chinese government constitute a threat to democratic nations. Matthias Dopfner, the head of Axel Springer, argued democratic nations are naive and dangerous to allow TikTok to operate. Quote, TikTok should be banned in every democracy. I mean, that I don't think it gets any more pronounced than that. Dopfner, whose company also owns Insider and Morning Brew, claimed TikTok is a tool of espionage that allows the Chinese government to track the personal data of millions of foreign users. TikTok, this is a quote, TikTok should be banned in every country. We have at the moment a naivete with dealing with China. We hand over personal data to the Chinese government. I have to tell you, I completely agree with him. I I think this, uh, look, I don't know how I feel about banning things. You figure people should have the right to make their own mistakes. But don't you think the Chinese government would have no qualms about selling the data of millions of American TikTok users to hackers for the highest bidder or, or any other sort of salacious um, means? I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to go on TikTok. I was t- texting this. To some friends of mine um, who are big TikTokers the other day, and basically they shrugged and said, oh, well, everybody's getting our data. You know, it's not a big deal. Um, And they're saying uh, one person, my friend Jessica writes, everyone has our data at this point. I'll happily submit my likes to TikTok so they continue to give me advertisements for things I actually like, LOL. I really think that is such a naive approach to this because it's about a lot more than crafting ads for what you like, the way Gmail would or the way uh, Facebook or Twitter might. This is handing over your personal data to the Chinese government. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that's uh, that's concerned about this. If you want to comment, you can. 800-848-9222. We'll talk with Brian Kilmeade in just a minute. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on this. But we are going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000. We're not going to track your data. Well, we might track it a little bit. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to take your email address uh, if you win. But beyond that, I'm not going to do any tracking of it. I mean, w- what's wrong with me having your email? You should want me to have your email. I'll send you informative emails. But um, if you want to play the $1,000 <clears throat> minute, be the seventh caller right now to 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. By the way, we are seeing, uh, it's being reported, that the case against the man accusing accused of uh, slapping Rudy Giuliani in the back is being dismissed, according to a source close to the DA's office. 
given the, what we saw in the video, I can't say that I'm surprised. But I'll tell you who's not going to be happy about that, Rudy Giuliani. And you know who the most popular person in Staten Island is? Rudy Giuliani. I would be very worried about the political implications of this if I were the DA there, Mike McMahon, because I wouldn't want Rudy Giuliani coming to town to campaign against me. I don't know that Rudy, because his law license is currently suspended, I don't know that he could run for DA himself, but he could certainly put his oomph behind somebody else to make a real race out of this thing. So that would be uh, interesting. So we'll see. I'm not saying it's the right decision or the wrong decision to drop this case, but I'm just saying Rudy's not going to be pleased with that. And uh, I'm going I'm to be eager to hear what he says about that on the radio. 800-848-9222. Uh, we'll do the $1,000 minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. kind of music we're playing on the show, just uh, join our Facebook group at Morano Radio Fans and Haters. All right. It is time for us to try and give away $1,000. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank. Uh, let us say hello to Fred in Brooklyn. Hello, Fred. How are you? Good morning, Frank. I'm doing great, I'm Fred. Gonna, I'm going to give it my best shot. I listen regularly. Wonderful. I, I Good. didn't think I'd get through. I dialed and it went through. Wonderful. Well, so it could be your lucky day. Now, just so you know, I did a run-through of these questions with my sister because uh, my wife and I went to a wedding last night, so my sister came over to watch the baby. And so I wanted to see how she'd do. She got question six incorrect, and then she got question um, ten incorrect. Other than that, she got them all right. So I feel pretty good that this is a not-too-difficult selection of questions. So I feel like like if you're a relatively well-informed guy, you should be in a good position here. You ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. What day does Halloween fall on? October 31st. King Kong is what type of animal? A gorilla. What is the Statue of Liberty holding in her right hand? A torch. How many sides to a pentagon? Eight. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it's uh, five sides to a pentagon, uh, Fred. That's why the, the pentagon where the military is headquartered... Each branch of the military 
had one side, and now there's a sixth branch, but you had the the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, the Marines, and the, and the Coast Guard. That's why there's five of them. But, uh, so yeah, I think eight is uh, is a heptagon. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, no, it's an octagon. Octagon. That's uh, octagon, octagon is eight. Octagon. We got that question wrong. All right, Fred. Hang, hang on. I'm glad uh, you have given it a shot. Yeah, Thank absolutely, you. absolutely. It's good to talk to you. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, give Kenneth your your information, and uh, we'll we'll send you a consolation prize. Kenneth, be sure you put the winner in V promo or whatever we we have to do in order to make sure he gets his uh, his cap. Um, we have uh, Brian Kilmeade on a guy who uh, I, I, he probably gets sick of hearing everybody say it, but is the hardest working man in all of media. He's a New York Times bestselling author, co-host of Fox and Friends, nationally syndicated radio talk show host. And because he has nothing else to do, he's decided to add a program on Fox News on the weekend. And just so he has no free time, he also does uh, specials regularly for Fox Nation. Brian, it's great to talk with you as always. How are you? What's going on, Frank? You know, I have this frog in my throat uh, from a cold. What do you do when you have a frog in your throat and you have to do your six hours of broadcasting a day? Uh, you know, it was happening regularly. I did apple. Uh, I think it's apple cider vinegar. And that's been the magic elixir to get me through that. I mean, at, at one point, you can't really grind it out because, do you remember, did you hear Chris Collinsworth the first week? Of the NFL, uh, uh, he I, had uh, bad laryngitis, and it was just terrible to listen to. But you do not sound bad. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be over tomorrow. But so you do apple cider vinegar. That's the yeah. the Kilmeade method. Okay, all right, I like it. Hey, um, I want, there's so much in the news that I want to ask you about, but uh, I guess we have to begin on the latest with these Trump investigations. The news came out yesterday that the New York State Attorney General Letitia James is bringing a civil suit against not only Donald Trump but his three children and their company. And um, no criminal charges after two or three years of investigating him, running on a platform of this. Do you think all these Trump investigations politically, does this embolden Trump's base because they view him as being perpetually under attack? Or does it sort of add to all the drama that seems to surround Donald Trump and lead some people to think, all right, let's maybe we should seek a less dramatic candidate like a Youngkin or a DeSantis? How do you see this playing out politically, not necessarily legally? Well, I mean, his, his base gets mobilized. The question is, how big is his base at this point? Uh, so if he was at 36 percent of the Republic uh, of the general electorate and maybe 85 percent, if it drops to 80 he has less of a chance of winning the general. Uh, a couple of things are actually happening. You know, the raid on Mar-a-Lago, he took a body blow yesterday. Now they're able to go through these documents, and, and evidently there's some in there that's not going to help him. So that didn't work for him. The fact that his defense came up and they said, just tell me how these are de- uh, how he declassified them so I get at least his point of view. And they said, well, we don't want to tell you. So in other words, he never declassified them. Well, we're not saying that. So they said the next day they came out of the ruling, which was yesterday, okay, uh, FBI, you can start looking through these again, which is unbelievable to me because then they're going to start calling out and saying this is uh, attorney-client privilege, these are, this is barren shin pads, uh, these are Melania's uh, uh, stockings, high heels. I mean, they took everything. Now that raid, that, so that investigation proceeds. We got the Georgia investigation proceeding. 
And now yesterday, uh, this attorney general, it's pure politics. I don't know how it's going to stick. But Andy McCarthy on yesterday saying there's no crim- – they tried to get a criminal probe on him. They had nothing. So now they're going for a civil complaint when there was no complaint from all the banks about how he got money and didn't get money. And he's almost got no debt, and everyone agrees on that. So this looks like political targeting. Overall, it doesn't help the Republican Party. There's two things that hurt the Republican Party, the Mar-a-Lago raid mm. – and the abortion, abortion right? Right. Um, so this doesn't help. And this allows people to talk more about him. Uh, and the real story is what was happening on Capitol Hill that got no publicity. And that is the banking heads came out and the Fed spoke. And it looks like, I mean, we're heading towards a recession. The inflation is being extremely stubborn. That everybody listening to us right now feels it when they go to uh, go to gas, go to pay their utility bill, go get gas, go to shopping. Things are up between thirteen and thirty mm. and forty percent. So those are the big stories. But this allows other people to say, "Yeah, that those Republicans, these MAGA Republicans are terrible." I, you know, I don't like to say the country, but these these other people are dangerous. But we are seeing Republicans make inroads in uh, some blue states that they weren't supposed to be competitive. There's a real chance that we could see a Republican get elected governor of Nevada or a Republican get elected governor of Oregon. I mean, these these are these are states that nobody would have predicted the Republicans would win in. What about senator from Nevada? Yeah. And and what about what about Congressman Lee Zeldin? I mean, this guy is getting more and more aggressive, especially because he knows crime is our top issue here, I think, or, or maybe to a 1A or 1B. And he's appearing at all the McDonald's when there's a problem. He's going in front of courthouses when these guys are released. He is forcing Kathy Hochul to play defense. She will not uh, debate him at all. It's, I think it's probably a four or five point race. When everyone said that was impossible, that would never even happen again. So uh, there, you're right. I mean, there's, there's a positive things turning towards... Republicans, mainly because of the yet ineptness and the crazy ass policies uh, where we go green first in the worst of times uh, by the Democrats. I think it's scaring a lot of people as long with, uh, you know, Joe Biden's, uh, in, uh, you know, bouts with reality. Yeah. Not, there's not enough of them. I, I um, and I give Zeldin a lot of credit for being very energetic and being out there. I still think New York, especially post Hobbs decision, I think it's going to be very difficult for uh, for Zeldin to uh, to get elected, but he certainly is giving her a spirited challenge, and she's not doing herself any favors on the issue of it's congestion terrible. pricing. I mean, a lot of folks what in Long Island, at Staten yeah. Island, and uh, the Bronx and Brooklyn, they don't want to pay for the privilege of coming to work every day, and I don't understand um, why she hasn't given herself some wiggle room to back off that, but it's uh, it's certainly going to be very interesting. Just wait for the crack, COVID crackdown <clears throat> after the election if she wins. I have a, a I have a, a, my cousin sharpens knives. So, you know, you go into all these restaurants. You got to drive all around the city. You show up. How you doing? You go into the kitchen. You got to park. You, you know, it takes 45 minutes and you go again. You know how much he's going to be paying? Oh. He's going to be losing money going to work. Oh, no doubt about it. Uh, no doubt about it. Hey, um, Aaron Judge, he's at uh, at uh, 60 home runs. Uh, very exciting. Only the third American leaguer in history to do this but after Babe Ruth and Roger Maris. Seems not a question of if he's going to break this American League record, but, uh, but when. Um, this is a pretty big deal if you're a Yankee fan, isn't it? Or just even a New Yorker. I'm a Met fan, but I still find it pretty exciting. Frank, think bigger. I think it's it's unbelievable for baseball. I know it's not as big as McGuire and Sosa, uh, but the, both those guys end up being steroid cheats. 
And but it was exciting for the whole country because baseball was coming back, trying to revitalize itself. I think it was after a strike, and uh, it really brought baseball back. All right, we're fine. I remember that. In fact, they told me I was doing all sports at Fox. Follow McGuire around. Okay. So I, I traveled around, I think, through Labor Day. And, you know, when he beat the record and then went beyond the record, hit 70, only to have it blow up uh, 10 years later. And now you have Aaron Judge, who looks like a superhuman, who is, uh, who's got the character, everything, the character of Derek Jeter and more. Without the, you know, he's got a girlfriend. He he's, doesn't even have the, the, that social lifestyle. So he looks like he's from another planet. And then he, the way he swings, he, uh, it looks like he's going to go down as one of the greats of his time. And then we have the triple crown. The oh, guy took over the that's batting That's a great lead. point. Yeah, no, that's incredible. If he can do, I mean, we're talking uh, Mickey Mantle 1956 territory, the numbers that he's, uh, he's putting up there. I know you interviewed uh, the Yankees president, Randy Levine. Um, are they going to be able to keep him next year in pinstripes? Look, um, I think – I don't know who's going to make a run at him. I, I, I bet you the Mets do. Uh, at the very least, I, it'll start a cold war between the clubs because it'll jack up the price. But I think the you know the Yankees go all in to get him. But I also think this. The only thing that I think would stop it is I, I see that Steinbrenner is saying I, I, can't, I can't lose this guy and to, to pretend to be a major league owner. But can you imagine if the Yankees are, are one and done in the first round? And this if, year, if that in the happens this year, yeah, in the playoffs, I mean, this was supposed to be the way they started, where they were going to have the all-time best Yankee team. They have a terrible August, but worse since '91, and they have a 500 September. And then if they bow out early, there's going to be a sense we got a clean house, and maybe Judge doesn't want to stay. Well, I mean, a lot of things, folks think he may end up going back to California, but it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, see where that goes. But we'll see what happens. And to your point. He does seem to have a humility, which a lot of the fans really seem to be appreciating at this juncture, which uh, not a lot of athletes with his ability uh, uh, seem to be uh, seem to have an abundance. And playing that's center for sure. field. Think it's about incredible. this. Absolutely incredible. I mean, it's, and he's, he's pulling he's pulling balls over the wall and he's pulling them back. And the other thing is last night was kind of dramatic because I was so mad at myself for going to bed. And in the eighth inning two nights ago, I go, I'm going to stick this thing out. And the Yankees were up big. And it looks like Judge is not going to get up. And then they have this huge eighth inning. Right, and then you and so realize they basically also bat that, around that you have to and be awake Judge at gets up again, and he and he uh, strikes out. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, you have an unforgiving wake up time, uh, Brian. I don't think even uh, the, the the Yankees would begrudge <laughs> you uh, going to bed before the uh, before the eighth inning. What's coming up on Fox and Friends today? What's coming up on radio today? Well, I got Andy McCarthy, who's going to break down what's in this two hundred plus page uh, Trump. Uh, complaint, uh, This uh, they're trying to take him down. There's no doubt about it. Listen, Georgia was self-inflicted. The Mar-a-Lago raid didn't have to happen. He shouldn't have brought the stuff home. And whether he should have been raided is debate, but he, he was in control of that. This this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. This is not, There's nothing here, and it just should scare everyone, saying that if somebody wants to get you, they can get you. So Andy McCarthy will break that down. Admiral Stavridis on the call-up and some of the riots that were happening in Russia after the call-up of, uh, of 300,000 reservists. So it was panic. Uh, Mark Thiessen on exactly what you talked about. Uh, the red wave might reignite. And Senator Marsha Blackburn about what's happening as uh, now even Mitch McConnell getting optimistic that they could keep the Senate. 
and we'll talk about uh, everything else that was going on yesterday with the chicanery and the disrespect to these bankers. Um, I, I'm Listen, if you're the CEO of a bank, you've worked your whole life to get there. You have, you just treat these people with a degree of respect. Did you hear what Jay Apal said yesterday? Uh, we have to get – he goes, can you make it or would you agree to divest from everything that isn't to do with uh, – yeah, would you divest fuels, from right. everything that's fossil fuel related? I mean, just think about this. Of course not, you idiot. Do you want a computer? Do you want an iPad? Do you want jeans? I mean, do you want do you want do you have any sense of what the rest of the world is doing? Do you know China's not pulling back? All they do is building coal plants. And this person who fancies herself a success is going to the CEO of uh, J.P. Morgan and saying, "Would you promise no more oil and gas?" He says, "Absolutely not. It's not in our country's interests." Uh, last Saturday, so we'll talk about that. Uh, that's going to be uh, a lot to get to. That's for sure. Last Saturday, you had a terrific interview with uh, with Sid Rosenberg. When I saw Sid on Sunday, he ran over to me uh, with his phone uh, in hand and said, "Did you see all the interview with Brian Kilmeade last night?" I said, uh, "No, I didn't get to watch it. You got to watch it right now, right now, and share it." He was very proud of that. What do you have uh, in store on the weekend on the uh, Brian Kilmeade takes America? Uh, let me see. Uh, one thing we're going to be exploring manliness with this guy who's got a runaway podcast about how to be a man. A lot of single parents could grow up in a, uh, with a mom. You've got the best mom in the world. But how do you learn to be a man? Believe it or not, since men are under attack and white men are the worst people on the planet. We all know that, Frank. Uh, Absolutely. We're going to talk about Hate Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna break down the number one story of the day, which I'm going to wait till uh, Saturday to find out what it is. But Ned Ryan's going to help me through that. And uh, we're and, still uh, shaping a lot of the um, Ned Bryan, whose whose dad was uh, the great runner. Um, well, that's uh, cool, Bob Ryan. Yeah, so he's going to be he's going to be joining me. Uh, and then we're all. I'm just trying to think. What else do we we have booked for the show? And I do know I'll, the show uh, is called One Nation with Brian Kilmeade, but I, I like Brian Kilmeade takes America. That fits with the whole tour that you're doing and everything. I like the, I like the. I like that. Keep in mind, December 2nd, I had to pull it, push it because Sid had a book party. (laughs) So December 2nd, I'll be in Newark. So go to BrianKillMe.com. I want to see, uh, Frank, I I might have to excuse you because it's, uh, I think it's a a Friday night. So I I think I have to excuse you for that. I'm off Saturdays. I'm off Saturdays. I think uh, that'll be a delightful, uh, a delightful use of a Friday night. Brian, it is uh, it is always a treat to talk with you. I'm looking forward, especially hearing what uh, Andy McCarthy has to say on the uh, on the Trump front, because uh, especially not the attorney general situation in New York, but that uh, the special master was from the list that the Trump defense team suggested. So it becomes very difficult for the Trump defense team to paint this as kind of a witch hunt when it's their guy that got selected as the special master. It'll be interesting to see what McCarthy has to say. Yeah, uh, Frank, I look forward to it. And one day... I will be followed by a person who gets your quiz right. <laughs> I'm trying. I feel like I feel like I have to lift up the audience <laughs> after the the sudden fall of your contestants. Uh, well, uh, you know what? Uh, not everybody's as smart as you are, Brian. Uh, what can we say? I, I wish I wish they were. It would be a better <laughs> world. All right, Brian, kill me. Check him out on Fox and Friends. Uh, catch him on radio as well. And uh, December second, coming to Newark, New Jersey. I'm going to try and get there. That'll be fun. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment, or we'll give you an opportunity to comment for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
So we have a um, a listener, <clears throat> an interesting guy. I've never met him. I don't know him personally. But he's one of the... We have a lot of listeners that um, listen to every segment of the show. Um, Ellen, for instance, she usually listens to every segment. She posts a summary in the Facebook group. I love that. I think it gets people going. Now, this particular listener does the same thing, but he only emails it to me, which is, I wish he would put it in the Facebook group as a starting point for conversation rather than just send it to me. So yesterday we had Michelle Caruso Cabrera on talking ancestry and genealogy live from Italy, and I thought she was good. This is, and so what he does, this listener, he he makes a list of all the segments, and then he includes whatever his comment is about the segment, right? Could be, oh, you know, you're wrong about this because of X, or hey, that was an interesting interview, all right, whatever. So this is what he writes for Michelle Caruso Cabrera and genealogy. One word, interesting, period. And then, next sentence. Did you two ever date in the past? There's a friendly chemistry. Then the answer, of course, is no. Um, I think uh, I'm, Michelle is married. I'm married. And uh, no, we never dated in the past. But that's nice. I think that's a, I took that as a, uh, as a positive because uh, I think that means that, uh, you know, we, we, I, I like to sound friendly with the guests, right? So I thought that was good. Um, speaking of dating, weddings, and so forth. I was in Lakewood, New Jersey yesterday for a wedding. And um, this is a wedding for a a family member. I don't want to say too much, but here's the situation, right? The, The one of the people getting married was a family member. She, I was at that person's wedding. I just said she was at her wedding a year and a half ago, right? Gave what I thought was a very generous gift. So now she, this is a second wedding. Do you do the same gift that you did at the first wedding? Or do you do less of a gift? What do you do, Matt Blaze? I, I never heard of it. You never heard of this? <laughs> no. Well, you're, why you're, is there you're, two, two weddings? This, because this is, this is the world I'm living in. Okay. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> My wife and I were talking, and I don't want to say too much because, you know, it's private stuff. But I think the consensus was, on her part, that we should give less. Because, you know, you can't give a wedding, you can't give a generous wedding gift every time someone gets married. you got to reduce it a little each time. So <clears throat> I was of the opinion that we should give the same because... Just because you should still be as generous with a family member as you were the first time. And my wife says, all right, well, look, I have no money, so this is on you. Whatever you want to give, that's what we're giving. So lo and behold, I take a look at what's in my bank account, and it was not exactly substantial. And um, I'm just throwing some numbers out there. But let's say there was – so I gave whatever was in my bank account, which ended up being – I left $72 left in my bank account. I It ended up being a substantially less generous gift than for the last wedding. Um, but that's that. So anyway, I go to this wedding, 
this wedding was phenomenal. It was really interesting, as a lot of Orthodox weddings are. The music was tremendous. One of the singers they had there is apparently a huge star, a huge star in the um, in not only the Orthodox Jewish community, but he, he's got millions of hits on YouTube as a singer, and apparently he's friends with the family. His name's uh, Lipa Schmelzer. You could look him up at um, um, you could look him up on YouTube. And he was good. And then an older gentleman, slightly older, and I don't want to age him, he comes out and sings during the ceremony. He was phenomenal. Now, I couldn't understand a word of it, but just like you can't understand a great opera, it's great. So anyway, we go to the reception, and the second singer, I believe his name was Jude, Jonah, or Judah or something along those lines. I apologize if that's not it. He ends up sitting on our table, and... I'm talking with another gentleman, Rabbi Gold, who's there and who's a very, very good f- friend of the people getting married. And he's asking me what I do and everything. I said, oh, I'm on the radio. What station? Oh, I said 770. And he says, 770. Oh, then the other fellow, the singer, says, oh, do you know Frank Morano? And I said, well, I'm actually Frank Morano. He says, you're kidding. I listen to you every day. It turns out the photographer listens as he drives back from uh, from uh, weddings. And I, wow. I feel very comfortable saying that um, Lakewood, New Jersey is wall-to-wall Frank Morano country. All right. I have talked all of our um, talk time away, so I apologize. I will leave some extra time for uh, 15 seconds of fame tomorrow. Uh, so I apologize, those of you that called in. We'll, we'll give you some extra time tomorrow. I apologize, but... Sorry, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, if you want to tell me whatever you were going to say, the Sid's a moron guy, the Janine Pirro guy, email me. Frank Moreno, good day.